One does not simply walk into geekdom. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. You're a nerd. Damn right. I'm a nerd. Naturally. All things geek are up for grabs. Music. Sketch comedy or sitcoms. Doctor Who. I love Tim. Bird. The Flash. Green Lantern. The Trinity. Batman. Superman. Wonder Woman. The Joker. Wait a minute. I want to talk about the Joker. Star Wars. Love me some Star Wars. Magic. I'm an art guy. Paranormal. Halloween is life. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Hello, nerds and nerdettes. Welcome to the Nerd United Nations podcast. We're, all, we're finally here. The episode we've been building to all year. Even though the movie's only been out for a month. Yes, guys and girls, nerds, nerdettes, junior ambassadors, whoever's listening. We are reviewing the movie of 2019, or at least the movie of the year, in my opinion, Joker. My most anticipated movie of the year. It's finally here. It's out. It's made all the money. So we're going to have a spoilerific discussion of it tonight. And I cannot do it alone. I need to have my co-host with me. Miss Melissa Nicholson. So Melissa, I have a joke for you. Okay. What do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash? Hmm. I don't know. I'll tell you what you get. You get what you fucking deserve! Yep. Bang. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my dad's like, what the fuck's going on downstairs? <laughs> What's he yelling about now? <laughs> so, spoilers. <laughs> That's one of the best lines from the freaking movie, if you haven't seen it by now. <laughs> but like I just said in the intro, it's been out for over a month. It's made almost all the money this year. So... You know it was going to be spoiler-free. Melissa, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. Trying not to turn into an ice cube as it's getting super cold here up in the Great White North. As it does. (laughs) Otherwise, good. (laughs) I hear it's like that down here, too. Fall made a quick exit. Didn't Didn't even say goodbye or I love you. No, just... Walked out the door and that was it. <laughs> Cleaned out my wallet and left me high and dry. Yep. So, Melissa, everybody that knows me knows this was my most anticipated movie of the year. Well, how where did this where did Joker rank for you this year on uh, anticipated movies? Oh, it was like number one on my list. I was never honestly more excited for a movie. Like, you know, you you're you know, you get excited for like, you know, the new Star Wars movies and stuff like that, but this one, I don't know, I was just since seeing the trailer and I like watched the trailer I don't know how many times and was just super excited for it cuz 
Um, you know, he just knew it was going to be like, it was going to be a solid film and it was going to be, you know, a darker story, a grittier story and, you know, kind of a, a deeper look at this character and, and, you know, who he becomes ultimately and just his, you know, so I knew it was going to be good and it certainly, you know, I was... It definitely didn't disappoint when I finally got to see it. So it was a long enough wait, damn it. <laughs> it was a long damn wait since it's been announced. Ugh, what was it announced? Uh, well, I think it had been in the works since like 2017, I think. It had been in the it talks, at least. Mm-hmm. You were talking about it, and then it was finally, yeah, they were filming, and <clears throat> yeah, and then finally like the trailer came out, and then it was, you know waiting for that so it was just like ugh it's a long wait especially if you're were, like really excited for it so <laughs> yeah well it was a, it was probably one of the long well I already long year already enough as it was prior to waiting for Joker then <laughs> waiting until October well I, I saw it opening night October 3rd so waiting uh, all that freaking time luckily the year flew by so I could got here a lot faster than I expected and I could not be happier. Definitely. Like I think like once, you know, it was like July, August, and then it just okay, boom, yay. <laughs> Finally get to see this movie. <laughs> fuck you, September fuck you, September. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. Get out of here as fast as you freaking can. I don't want to see you anymore. <laughs> you into cross you into CrossFit? You can cross fuck off. Cross fart. <laughs> cup of fart, you can cup a fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey September. Hey September, how's it going? Just kidding, don't give a fuck. <laughs> September was such a good yep. month. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wake up the guy from Green Day. Whatever. Blah blah blah. <laughs> Let's talk about fucking Joker. <laughs> Let's see Joker already. Come on, October third. Come on, come on. <laughs> Let's get moving. Come on, you can do this. <laughs> Move it. <laughs> <laughs> So Melissa, how many times did you how many times did you see Joker? Oh, I only saw it once, unfortunately. Um, but that's because I was um, kind of living in place where living out of town at the time, and they don't exactly have a movie theater. So it was when I came back to my hometown that I was able to go finally see the movie, and uh, I wanted to see it like I don't know ten times that weekend. <laughs> I didn't get to, but um, yeah, hopefully I'll get to see it again before it leaves theaters. But definitely plan on buying it, so not going to be an issue there. But yeah, it was it was good. Well, even my mom wanted to see it again. Like she's like, oh, can we go see it again?" <laughs> so gets mom gets mom's approval. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
at the at the time of this recording, I've only seen it only seen it four times, and yeah, and I get a lot of looks like, why how why you see it so many damn times? Well, the Joker is my favorite comic book character of all time. I've been looking forward to this damn movie all year, so yeah, I'm going to see it many times. So right now. Joker is in a three-way tie with the first Deadpool and Suicide Squad for movies I've seen the most times in a theater. So ironically, I've seen two of the highest-grossing R-rated films of all time four times in the theater. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of speaking of segues and top-grossing R-rated movies, Joker, as a, I believe, is a, what two, three. Uh, Middle October, it became the highest grossing R-rated film of all time, surpassing Deadpool and was it just chapter one of it? Maybe. I think so. I think it was just chapter one of recent memory because if you uh, if you follow Ryan Reynolds on Twitter, he uh, sent out a celebratory uh, tweet to Joaquin Phoenix with uh, the iconic image of uh arthur dancing on the stairs and it says you fucker you motherfucker love deadpool pennywise logan jesus the wolf pack uh mr gray who else was on that list uh, couldn't remember there's a whole bunch of people on that one um oh neo neo yeah, yeah, it was Deadpool, Neo, Pennywise, Jesus, Hugh Jackman, The Wolf Pack, Mr. Gray, and Ted. <laughs> oh, Ted. Ted. So I only missed Ted. I just said Logan because I figured he would have said Logan. He called everybody else by their character names, so. <laughs> well, of course he has to single Hugh Jackman. Why would... Just kind of. <laughs> of course he does because he's Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah. As of the time of this recording, Joker has made $948 million on a $55 million budget. Wow. Now, if Joaquin Phoenix or Todd Phillips were smart, they would have taken a chunk of the back end for this for a payday. Mm. <laughs> just like Jack Nicholson, just like Jack Nicholson did back in 1989 with Joker. Just like Robert Downey Jr. did with uh, Iron Man. Or was it Iron Man or just Avengers? He took a chunk of the back end. You're the you're the Marvel expert. <laughs> I think it was Avengers. It was Avengers that he he yeah, capitalized on. Yeah, I don't think it was it was Iron Man. It was it was Avengers that he uh, yeah. Smart guy. <laughs> yep. Well, it's called essentially called the Jack Nicholson deal because Jack Nicholson made that deal. He got a piece of the back end uh, back in '89 when Joke uh, Batman came out back in '89, which that was the highest grossing film of 1989. And this this Joker, fast forward 30 years later, now another Joker movie, another movie with the Joker in it is. It has probably the most profitable movie all year from when you look from budget to gross. Mm -hmm. And mind you, this was made 
900, almost $950 million without, without opening in China. And everybody who follows cinema numbers closely knows that the China market is a huge market to tap into. Yeah, it's it's just, yeah, it's incredible just how much, you know, money they have made. But it's, you know, um, it's, a, it's a brilliant film. And I think, you know, a lot of people like that, the you know, the character of Joker. So that came out, you know, so a lot of people are going to go see it. And obviously a lot of people have. And they've probably seen it, you know, multiple times over because it's just, you know, it's worth seeing you know, more than just once. So, well, you almost, <laughs> you almost have to, you know, you almost have to see it a second time just to decipher what you saw. Yeah. Cause it, there's, there is so much that you just, you kind of have to sit back and think about all that you saw because there is a lot of like, it's, it's a bit of a thinker movie, really. Like it's, you can, you can, I guess you could sort of disconnect from it, like, and just watch, but, you can also, you know, it, there's a lot to think about, especially just the environment that they set up and the environment that he's in and just, you know, looking at, because they're really looking at mental illness and society and how society treats people with mental illness and, you know, governments, you know, cutting services for people with, you know, mental health issues and they're getting rid of, you know, so it's a lot of things that are relevant now. You know, it's current stuff. You know, that's going on. You also so have the stru- you also have the you also have the struggle between the 1% and the working class too. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I and I think that's like that's a constant thing really in real life. It's just there's there's it's never really going to end. There's always going to be that struggle. You know, the rich become richer and the poorer become poorer. It's just what it's going to be. You know, it's stupid, but <laughs> it's, it's how our world works, unfortunately. Well, you know? it's, 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 it's quite amazing how this is a Well, the fact that it's made in current times helps it reflect. But even back in this, this film supposed to take place in the 70s, 80s era. So how, uh, how relevant the themes are tackling for back then happened now or are present now it really shows that like you know we really haven't changed much you know we we could have you know changed but we we haven't it's still very much the same and that's just you know it's yeah you don't really know what to think about that because you think oh that was you know 30 years ago whatever uh well we're still at the same point we were. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. So, so before we go much further, uh, I'm gonna throw the spoiler warning out here now. From this point on, if you have not seen the movie, which, like I said, it's been out for over a month now, it's made over, it's made almost a billion dollars. So, if you get spoiled past this point, it's on you. Yeah. So to to <laughs> ride your coat, tells about what you're saying about some of the things we you see within the movie I've seen the movie four times now and every time I've seen it I've noticed different things and I found that I, I listened to other podcasts talk about spoilers and I followed other things things on uh, real fans of real movies mostly but uh, 
I believe after the first time I saw it, I saw I listened to Suicide Squadcast and their review on it, and uh, and they I think the main topic that everybody brings up is does the movie do the events of the movie actually happen? A lot of the movies left very ambiguous, and this was a discussion Melissa and I had after she finally saw it, and uh, how so much of this movie is left ambiguous. I came and uh, that got me thinking too. Because when I first saw this movie, I originally did not like the final, final ending of him talking to the therapist. I thought if the movie would have ended as soon as the show went off the air, that would have been a good ending. Or after they showed the talking heads on the TVs, if it would have ended then, that would have been a good ending. Mm -hmm. Then they show the whole thing of him getting escorted off by the police and all the rioting happening around him and him just admiring that and the car crash and then him dancing on the hood of the cop car. I thought that would have been a good ending too. Mm-hmm. Didn't it cut to him being in the psych ward and leave that ambiguity old that the whole movie actually happened. Mm-hmm. I think it's after like the second viewing and listening to a couple of podcasts. That's when I became okay with that ending. Yeah. But did you notice this, Melissa? You only seen it the one time. But did you? I think it was on Real Fans Real Movies. Did you notice that at the beginning of the movie, when Arthur is talking to a social worker, when he clocks out from working at Haha's when he's fired, and at the end of the movie, I believe it is when he's talking to the shrink, or when they show the flashback of him banging his head on the wall. Did you know that the clocks all say the same time on him? No. Really? That was something that's that I can't remember where I saw that from, but mm. that's what really helps the the movie make you believe like, well, did the any of this actually happen? Yeah. Or was he just did he make all this stuff up? Like talking to psychiatrist, right? And oh, okay, well, let's just but, chat you but, up and let's create this world, but, right? But uh, <laughs> and that, the point I was trying to make, I ended up becoming okay with the final ending of him. Uh, did he allegedly, allegedly killing uh, the therapist at the end and then him running from the guard in the hallway while he's dancing around? I eventually became okay with that too because like, that's a Joker thing that would happen. That's a Joker thing. That's something the Joker would do. Yeah. And uh but what was your what were your thoughts on the ending? That we're we're doing it, we're pulling a Jamie Drooly and jumping right to the end. <laughs> but uh what about you? Were you okay with the end that we got? Or do you think or do you think it could have ended after he killed De Niro or after the rioters freed him from the cop car? I thought it could have ended like the rioters, you know, getting him out of there and getting him out of the cop car and everything. Like, I thought that it could have ended there. And I thought it was going to. Like, it just sort of set up for, like, okay, everything's sort of ending and this is where he's he's at right now. And then it was like, oh, now he's, you know, in the, you know, um, you know, mental health ward and talking to a psychiatrist. It's like, I, I thought that was really kind of 
like a not needed scene, but it was like, okay, it, it made sense because, okay, did, did all this really happen? It's that questioning of, okay, <laughs> like, what just, what do we just see? Uh, and I, I was even sitting back like, uh, what? <laughs> well, next next time you watch it, you're gonna be watching the clocks now, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> I think it was the fourth time I went and saw it. I I noticed the times on the clocks were all the same. <laughs> like, holy crap! Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I really wish I could remember the source of where I saw that, so I could give the source its proper respect uh, to pay the proper respect to the source. I'm, I want to say it was probably. I want to say somebody posted on the real fans page that all the clocks are the same. Maybe it's not like, I feel like I've seen a posting about that at some point. Maybe it was through there, but yeah. Well, (laughs) (laughs) speaking of postings and speaking of ambiguity, I saw a post yesterday on the real fans page that ruined something from the movie for me. Oh, really? So remember when we discussed the actual body count of the movie? Yes. And how it's left ambiguous whether Zazzy beats his character Sophie is alive or dead? Mm-hmm. Did you see on Real Fans yesterday? I did. The other see day? That. No. Uh, Jamie Drewley posted an article. Todd Phillips has confirmed that Zazzy beats his character is alive. Arthur did not kill her. I kind of ruined it a little bit for me. I'm like, oh, because I like that. I like that. I like having that ambiguity. Did he do it? Did he not? Yeah. But, but Todd Phillips has said in the article that he tried to set it up that Arthur only killed people that did him wrong. Mm. Which has gotten debates from people that, well, Joker doesn't care. Joker kills anybody. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't kill people that do it just to kill people that just do him wrong. Just but people, but the way, the way they left that scene hanging when she walked when he was sitting in her apartment and she just walks in and that total shock on her face to see him sitting in there <laughs> and then just him putting the finger up the finger guns up to his head and replaying the whole relationship in his head and just showing him storming out of the apartment. I love that ambiguity. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. Now was it's good. all now like it's it, all ruined. <laughs> that, that yeah. I'm I'm disappointed now. <laughs> what the hell? He shouldn't have said anything. But the shrink didn't do But the shrink didn't do anything to him at the end of the movie, so why'd he kill her then? Yeah, I don't know. Although he was he well no it wasn't yeah I don't know know. if he did kill her yeah there's only there's only blood on his shoes so no blood on the rest of him but just his shoes Mm -hmm. that doesn't say anything but it you can keeps you guessing (laughs) yeah well Todd Phillips already ruined that that freaking ambiguity but there is there is a, a scene where Sophie is watching him on the Murray Franklin show. So that scene got cut. 
because no. he wanted he wanted the focus to be on uh, on Arthur, not on Sophie. That Sophie's still alive, but. Yeah. Hmm. But I thought that I thought that whole thing of the whole relationship being in his head, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah. That was yeah. <laughs> well, we've it sounds like we're pretty much starting from the end and working our way back. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. We went right to the end and ruined everything, and now okay. <laughs> I gave the spoiler. I gave the spoiler warning, so they had their chance. Well, exactly. If they haven't, if they haven't seen it yet, they're not listening, or they don't care. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, let's go back to that that opening scene, all the way all the way to the back when uh. The classic, uh, you get that opening shot of Arthur with the fake smile. Such an iconic shot from that movie, him doing the fake smile. Yeah, it really, like, it's just, that's, you know, that's him. You know, it's that, you know, putting the smile on your face, right? Him, you know, if you really want to look at it, like, you know, it's that... Oh, the fake smiles. Like, yeah, I'm smiling, but I'm actually, I'm not. You know, it's that mask, right? Yep. We're all, some of us are all too familiar with that, eh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But, uh, then you get the, it jumps right into the next scene that was probably most, just as iconic in the trailers of, uh, him. Dancing in front of the music store and then getting jumped by the kids. You knew how that shot played over and over again in the trailer of him getting whacked to that sign. That's such a hard, so hard to see. Like that looked like it freaking hurt. Mm-hmm. And these are the moments where you just feel so bad for Arthur at this point. Like you just feel so horrible for him. And yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people. I think that's what turned a lot of people off in the movie to begin with. It's like, oh, he's supposed to be the worst villain of all time. You don't want to feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. But like, but like they said, like I think Todd Phillips has said, you do not feel sorry for Arthur by the end of this movie. He does some revolting stuff that you do not feel bad for him mm-hmm. at all. No remorse. No, like you, you do initially like his, you know that that early stuff where he's yeah, he like he gets you know, jumped and, and just him going through life and kind of struggling and just, you know, being this, like being a weirdo basically. And, you know, people looking at him and laughing or whatever. And it's just like, you know, you really do feel bad for him. And then it's, yeah, near the end, it's like, you don't anymore. You know, you just, all the, you know, shit he's done. It's yeah, you you don't, but yeah, because <laughs> you know you can't feel sorry for somebody who's done what they've they've done, but you know there, and, there was and he of, comes he oh sorry go ahead <laughs> there was a part of me that was like yes <laughs> like totally on his side so I don't know is that does that say something about yeah. me I don't <laughs> there's there's a lot of times where 
the to quote the opening joke, you get what you fucking deserve. Um, but it's like Arthur comes off as just like a simple, nice, a simple, sweet guy at the beginning of this movie. And it's uh, this movie gets compared to a lot of movies like Taxi Driver. It's also like Michael Douglas and Falling Down. Like it's one guy has just been nice guy just pushed too far. Mm-hmm. And you see, like, and like one thing that like I feel bad for him at the beginning of the movie. He's getting jumped by the kids in the alley and. Um, Having to be on all this medication and what have you, but like one time I kind of felt bad for him was when he's in his boss's office, and you see him there uh, getting chewed out by his boss. Like oh, a lot of the guys feel uncomfortable around you and all that stuff, and you just feel bad. And he's just sitting there keeping that smile on his face. And you just feel so bad for the guy. Mm. Breaks your heart, and then you just see him holding. You can see that silent rage just ticking inside of him. With the heart, with the got the fake smile on, all of a sudden he's outside kicking the shit out of the trash in the dumpster. It's getting burning off all that extra steam. Yeah, I also like. I felt bad for him. Like it just when he was talking to the the psychiatrist, and and like you know there was moments where like she wasn't she wasn't listening to him, and like he even says like you know you ask me the same questions. You know, how's work? How's the, you know, just these basic questions and you're not really, you know, doing anything. And, like, you know, he shares the, the journal that she asked him to do, like, to write in and, you know. And she kind of just casually flips through the thing. Like, doesn't really read it or talk about it. And then, you know, he's talking to her and then she's like, oh, I've got bad news. Oh, they're the government's cutting funding and you know, and for people who actually give a shit. Well, do you give a shit? Because you're not listening to him. <laughs> you know? You're yeah, asking him these like stupid mundane questions and then you're like he tells you stuff and then oh uh, another subject. Let's skip over that and talk about something else. Like so I kinda really felt bad for him because like he's you know trying seeking help seeking somebody to listen to him and he's not being listened to. Yeah. And in that first session at the beginning of the movie where, like you said, he uh, brings up, she brings up the journal, but she does focus on one passage that gets brought up quite a bit in the movie is, uh, I hope my death makes more sense than my life. Which that gets touched on quite a bit in the movie because that's what he looks at before he spoils, kills Robert De Niro. And then, uh, Shit was the other thought I had in my head. But uh but then you flash forward to the second session when he finds it's gonna be a, it's gonna be his last session. And no, okay, I remember my thought now. Um kinda cat it kinda coattails into the, it kinda goes into my next uh point. Um when he she asked about the journal, he says I've been using it as a joke diary. And he goes, I don't know if I told you about it. I'm pursuing a, a career in stand-up comedy. I don't think he did. I'm pretty sure I told you. So you can see that frustration about, like, God, telling you this shit, and you don't listen. Yeah. Then you flash forward to his second, um, his second session, and this is after he killed the three Wayne Investments guys in the subway, so we've got a little bit of a different Arthur here. 
And like you said, he brings up, you always ask me this. You don't even listen, do you? All you do is ask me the same things. How was your day? How was work? Have you had any negative thoughts? You get the classic line from the second trailer. All I have are negative thoughts. Yeah. But you could tell it's also a different Arthur there because um, I just like how nonchalantly when she breaks the news to him that won't be meeting anymore. He goes, okay, <laughs> who do I see about my medication? <laughs> it's almost like returning, like, like returning, uh, returning a little bit of the favor to her. Like, well, you've been blowing me off. However long me and you've been meeting. But also like in the first session, where he goes, I think I, I felt better when I was locked up in the hospital. So clearly you're doing nothing for him, lady. You're just there to fill out his prescriptions and yeah, basically just yeah, be a brick wall. <laughs> cause that's may as well what he should be talking to. I'll just go talk to a wall because <laughs> a wall has more emotion than you do. <laughs> you know? Pretty much. Like, I just, that really, oh, I don't know, that really bothered me. And it just, you know, I, I felt frustrated along with him because he has that. He's got that, like, you know, kind of, and why am I here? You know, you just keep pill pushing me and, you know, not listening. And it's just like, ah, oh, I felt so frustrated for him, you know. And like, and and he he gives another line where you feel bad for him during his first session. About he asks the doctor to up his medication, or can you ask the doctor to up my medication? And she essentially asks why you're on what seven medications. He goes, I just don't want to feel so bad anymore. Oh, that that was like the most heartbreaking line ever. Oh, I just said that. I felt that one. I was like, oh. Clearly, he's he's clearly become dependent on these things, and if they're if he's built a tolerance to them, so it's not. I guess I don't know if his body's built up a tolerance to him. Unfortunately, I don't really take prescriptions at all, so I don't. I'm just talking out of my ass here, and I bring it up, but he he's almost built like a tolerance to this, so it's not doing anything for him anymore. His body's accustomed to it, mm-hmm. so he's. So it's just yeah. I guess it's only it's only scratching the surface. Yeah, it's not really helping them anything. You know, it may it may help a little bit, but yeah, like you said, you know, you take these things long enough, your your body's gonna just tolerate it, and it's not gonna do anything. You know, so you know what's the, at the end of the day, it's like, well, what's the point of taking these if they're not helping at all? <laughs> you know. Well, you flash forward to the towards the end of the movie. He seems a lot happier than he's not take quit taking them. So, yeah, I probably would be too. I don't know, but then I don't, I don't like taking prescription anything, so I avoid it like the plague. <laughs> I'm I'm the same way. Yeah, I. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Like if I if I don't have to like you know I have a cold or something or whatever or you know if I don't have to take anything for it, I'm not going to take anything for it unless I absolutely like have to <laughs> and even then I'm like oh I don't want to 
So then uh, we go back to now. This is like now that we're getting to the part now where you don't you start to feel you, you don't really not feel bad for Arthur, but you start to question his motives because he's given a, a after his fellow his coworkers found out he was jumped by a bunch of kids. Uh, he's handed a gun by uh, a coworker named Russell. And now there's a point now where we start to question Arthur's choices because he gets fired from his job as a party clown for bringing a gun to a children's hospital. At that point, it's like, come on, man. What are you thinking? To a kid's hospital? Exactly. <laughs> or he kept it on him? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you couldn't hide it? You couldn't hide it in your bag? Or... <laughs> or just not fucking bring it with you? Like... There's something to that, I think. I don't know. Like, he... I don't know. Like, he obviously didn't use it, but it would just... Of all places, why do you need a gun? Well, they're they're going for a very 70s, 80s New York City kind of feel to this. Before uh, Giuliani came and cleaned up New York, there used to be a lot of shit happening like this. So I, to play devil's advocate, I could see why Russell would give him the gun. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that he's a shady as fuck dude. <laughs> that would later come back to bite him in the ass later. It would come back to bite Arthur in the ass later too. But um, So I can see Russell's intentions to giving him the gun after him getting jumped and just... just like Arthur says, it's just mirrors are getting crazier out there. Um, the therapist, when she actually listens to him, it says, yes, it's very tense. So very uh, generic 101 answer. Um, yeah. She's like the people from the, new, the, the neutral planet Futurama. I have no strong feelings one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so I, I could see Russell's reasoning behind giving him the gun, but at a certain point, you got like Arthur, come on, man, about <laughs> taking it to the children's hospital. So you got to side with his coworker that asked him, "Did you really bring a gun to the children's hospital, already? <laughs> but I did say like, there's not there's not a lot a lot of laugh out loud moments in this movie, but the first moment I laughed out loud was when he was in his apartment dancing with the gun and it goes off on him and he falls over the table. <laughs> just yeah. his just his reaction alone to that <laughs> made me laugh my ass off at that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was that was hilarious. <laughs> Hi, wh- what's your name? <laughs> You're a real good dancer, Arthur. You know who's thanks. You know who's not? Him. Bang! (laughs) (laughs) The fact that they shot just scared the shit out of him and he fell all over the table. (laughs) I guess before 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 we before we discuss this any further, we should just if you haven't seen the trailers that Arthur does live with his mother and he takes care of his mother. But they don't really show him the. Well, they kind of show it in the trailer a little bit that she's dependent on him, but they don't show in the trailer that she's uh, not all there mentally. And you find out later in the film that she suffers from delusion and 
all this stuff. But uh, he's able to convince his mother that he was just watching an old war movie when the gunshot goes off. And whatever they show the they show the bullet hole later on in the movie. Is her, his mom that delusional? She did not notice a bolt hole in the fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. It's it's not something you like. Not you don't notice. Like, come on. So. Well, yeah, it's kind of like have you have, have you seen Boondock Saints? I haven't. No. Well, there's a scene where uh, one of their they're all partying after doing a hit on some guys and. Uh, one guy accidentally shoots his girlfriend's cat, and there's blood all over the heck. He bangs his fist on the table, the gun goes off, blows the cat away. And uh, blood all over the wall. They put a picture over the spot. There's still blood all over the wall <laughs> when the girlfriend comes home the next day. But they play off that of his girlfriend's a huge druggie, so she wouldn't even notice. <laughs> but, uh, but. There's the scene when Arthur is watching news with his mother, like the a week. I think it takes place about a week after he kills the guys on the subway, and you can see the bullet hole in the fucking wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously, poor observation skills there. <laughs> like, couldn't even like. You know, look over and be like, why is there a bullet hole in the wall? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's too obvious a question, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, the gun does come... The, the That one gun does play a huge role in the whole movie, and Flash, or like I said, Arthur takes the gun with him to the children's hospital. And it almost like, seems like the way it's played, it's like only the one kid saw it, the little girl that was right in front of him. Because mm-hmm. it's played off very cool. Yeah. Because you get some kids get some kids laughing. But then I think it was like the second time I watched it or third time I saw it, like you see some of the people working in the hospital, like their expressions change, like they notice the gun. So then you get a hard cut to him in the phone booth getting told that he's been fired. Mm-hmm. But it's really a moment like, what were you thinking, Arthur? What were you thinking? Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, okay, I get like, okay, it's, it's sort of like he's, you know, protecting himself or whatever, and that's what it was meant for. But, you know, to have it just, kind of casually with him and you know a children's hospital and it's like really it just you you really question like what was going on in that head of his that thought that this is okay you know and then yeah i thought it was kind of you know i don't know maybe weird isn't the right word but like how yeah how cool everyone was like they were just so like oh it's like oh there's a gun on the floor and they're not really like you know they weren't really doing anything about it yeah and then just, he catches a, catches a little bit of shit from his co-workers well like out ex-co-workers what what was your plan arthur you gonna shit yourself if your dancing didn't work <laughs> yeah 
Well, one of the big plot points of the movie, uh, the day Arthur gets fired, is the infamous uh, train scene where he ends up shooting three investors from uh, Wayne Corp or uh, Wayne Industries. Mm-hmm. Which they 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 really set up the rich, the elite in this movie to be real pricks and um all in really all arthur had to do was just plead self-defense when he killed the when he shot those guys and he probably could have gotten off on it but uh or gotten a lighter sentence than murder Mm -hmm. well he had no witnesses that tested it was self-defense that's really about it because the woman that was being harassed by these industry men she ends up leaving when Arthur starts laughing. If we didn't mention before, um, you notice in the trailers that Arthur has this weird laugh, this uh, the catatonic laugh, mm. where it's 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 writ it's uh, served in this movie as a medical condition, where whenever Arthur, it seems like it, whenever he's nervous or upset, he just starts laughing uncontrollably. And I think you first you first see it when he's on the bus after his first day of work, and he's getting ready to go see his social worker with the whole mom on the bus. He starts laughing uncontrollably. Then flash forward to the scene on the train where he's laughing again, and excuse me, it catches the attention of. Uh, the investment workers who turn their attention to him after they chase the woman away. And then Arthur tries to defend himself and essentially gets jumped again for the second time in this movie by uh, a gang of guys. And that was another thing that caught me off guard too, is that first shot he lays on those guys just came out of nowhere. Cause he's, they're wailing in all of a sudden, bang, like out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, it was totally unexpected. Like it was just like, Bang. Okay. <laughs> you know, kind of like one down, two to go. <laughs> and he took out he took out the first two pretty quick, then he had to chase the third one down yeah. to get to him. So I think it's that's really or this is probably the moment in the movie you see Arthur does not give a shit anymore. He has had enough of people shitting on him. He has had enough. Yeah. That's kind of his final straw. Like, okay. And yeah, that, you know, like if he, you know, if he kind of, you know, cared about killing the other guys or whatever, you know, he wouldn't have probably gone after the third guy, but he did. And that was kind of his, okay, I'm taking out these guys and then I'm going to get him. That's it. I'm fucking done. That is it. This guy's dead. And, and then, yeah, from then on, that's his spark of like, that's it. I've had enough of this. You know, I've been you know, jumped and beat up and, you know, looked at weird. I've had enough of that. So I think that's his kind of, you know, taking all those, like, bad things and turning it into some kind of, like, empowerment for him. Like, that's it. You know. (laughs) I'm taking out three guys and that's it. And that's, you know, he continues, you know. So... And then you get the transformation scene where he is running from, he's fleeing the scene and uh, 
locks himself in that bathroom and you see him just start for like a better term i've heard a podcast say he's like dancing or doing like a tai chi type of movements so that is that's essentially like you see arthur has changed now as soon as he puts mm-hmm. that between the time he puts that last bullet and then Vester's back and the time he starts dancing in that bathroom there's there's a new a new arthur arthur has been reborn definitely like he's he's transformed himself like this is you know who he is now and he's just kind of gotten like kind of into you know like he's like tai chi movement like he's just in the flow of his own energy and whatever like it's just this new newfound energy newfound you know like this is him you know and who he is and uh do you know what he's uh did you know while they're filming, that's what the music that's playing, the score that's playing in that scene, that's what Joaquin Phoenix is listening to when they're filming that? Uh-huh. So, yeah, they just kept on rolling, and he just started moving around. And I, I'd have to say, um, I don't think I've heard a podcast really touch on this. I think the dancing gets brought up quite a bit in the movie. It might have in other podcasts, but one thing that really grew on me is how much Arthur dances around in this movie. Like from him dancing in the apartment with the gun and then dancing for the uh, children's hospital and in front of the music store. And then when he's in the bathroom after he kills the guys, then it just keeps going and going until you get... um, Dancing down the stairs in the third act and dancing when he comes out in the Murray show and when he's dyeing his hair and everything. It made me think of, um, well, I guess I'll, when I get to my final thoughts later, I'll circle around. But um, I listened to an episode of uh, Fat Man on Batman years ago, Kevin Smith, back when it was still Fat Man on Batman. Uh, and he was interviewing Christopher Drake, who animated or who did who did the score for a lot of the DC animated films, including the both parts of The Dark Knight Returns. And he talked about when he was scoring the scene for Joker and Batman fighting in the Tunnel of Love, how it's this kind of carnival type music. And Christopher Drake's explanation for why he chose that kind of music for that scene is because that's what he thinks the Joker hears in his head all the time. That's what the Joker thinks is playing in his head all the time. And that's how I kind of justify all the dancing in this movie is Arthur is hearing those violins in his head. And that's just why he's moving the way he does. And. I don't necessarily say when he's dancing on the stairs at the end, he's listening to rock and roll part two from Gary Glitter. I think he's listening to the violins and stuff in his head. That's just what he hears in his head at all times. Mm-hmm. And that's one of many Joker moments, which I'm going to make when I make my final thoughts later, um, how to, to debate people that say, Oh, this isn't a Joker movie or it's not that he doesn't become the Joker. Um, there are very many Joker moments in this movie to me. And that was one of the ones that stood out in my head the most is when he's dancing around all the, all the constant dancing, at least when maybe not so much when he's in the, when he's in the children's hospital or when he's in his apartment. Um, but 
whatever he's doing a lot of his other dancing around like after killing the guys after when he's heading to the murray show and he's dying his hair that's just what i it it plays very much to me that that's what arthur hears in his head and that's what he's dancing to in his head mm-hmm. yeah it's it's almost like it it he's like it's tuning out that you know the the negative thoughts that he has and it's just that the violins and it just keeps him you know as much as he is kind of like he's he's a, he's a crazy character he is it keeps him sane that's how he just that's how he works like he has this music in his head and he's just moving to it and it's just what keeps him sane while also being a bit you know having that well, insanity right but it just it's what works for him and what he you know well to touch on another joker moment um there's a documentary called necessary evil villains in the dc universe uh, where I think it's Marv Wolfman where they get to talk about the Joker and it also goes back to another Batman, Batman episode with Grant Morrison how I think it's Grant Morrison's probably the first one to describe Joker Joker has this super sanity where he knows he's insane mm. and he loves it so I kind of curtailed in my brain that uh, Arthur knows he's mentally ill but so I kind of like put two together there. So yeah, joke, the Joker in the comics and movies and stuff, he knows he's insane and he loves, he enjoys it. So that's how he knows he's insane. He's so insane that he knows he's insane. And it's almost like the fact that Arthur knows he's mentally ill, especially when he stops taking, well, even before um, when he's writing in his journal and you notice a lot when Arthur's writing his journal, some of the penmanship is very neat. And some of it's very sloppy because he switches from his right hand to his left hand when he writes. And one of those, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to butcher butcher it. And people are like, oh, you've seen the movie four times. You don't know it word for word. But when he's writing in his journal about when you have a mental illness, people expect you to act as if you don't. Yeah, the thing about mental illness is people expect you to behave as if you don't. Yeah, yeah, so I got a, I almost got it right, but you know he switches from his right hand to he switches from his right hand to his left hand. So that's a mm-hmm. that's a good point right there to prove. Like, yeah, um, Arthur knows he's in, Arthur knows he's mentally ill. Oh yeah, he so, he's so he, he's perfectly conscious of it. Like he he knows. Oh, let's see. We're at at the point where he has killed the characters. So not too long after that, when he's watching the news with his mother and the news of this is breaking out, um, going back to his catatonic laughter that he has, uh, Jamie Drewley pointed out to me uh, to point out the Holy Backcast episode where uh, he starts laughing when he's watching the news with his mother and his mother turns him and says, that's not funny. And Jamie brought up the point. Well, shouldn't his mother know that he has this illness where he start, or he has this condition where he laughs at things? So is Arthur making up the fact that he laughs? Uh, 
uncontrollably, or is his mother just that out of it? Mm, that's true. Because, like, she, yeah. She could be just that that out of it, really. You know, she certainly had her, her, you know, her fair share most of her life of, you know, mental health issues and, and just being, you know, completely, you know, not in the right state of mind. So, you know, maybe she really doesn't know, you know, and hasn't, hasn't recognized that, well, you know, she has a son who's also mentally ill and, you know, has the condition where he just, he'll laugh uncontrollably out of nervousness, out of, you know, whatever circumstance. Right. And she probably, you know, maybe she genuinely doesn't know. You know, so, that, that so really, yeah, is it something? Is it something Arthur's making up, or is he legitimately, or can he legitimately not control when he laughs? Because there's times where it seems like he cannot control it, but after after the halfway point of the movie when he stops taking his meds, it seems he doesn't laugh as much. It seems. Hmm. But then I think, like, you know, that's when. Like I've, you know, I've said about this character before is like, he's, you know, he takes his, his demons and all those negative, all that negativity and empowers himself with it. So then he doesn't feel the need to, you know, he doesn't need to laugh anymore. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have that, oh, he's nervous and I, oh, I need to laugh. Like I just have to, you know, that uncontrollable thing where it's like, you know what? Yeah, like I'm, I know I'm crazy, and it's, you know, or maybe it was, you know, side effect of the meds, uncontrollable laughter. I don't know. (laughs) You know? Well, you could definitely make an argument for the laugh being part of a condition, like when he's trying to stand up for the first time. Mm. Or uh, that you could, like, tell, okay, he's nervous as shit. Or he's got stage fright, or he's just nervous, got all the nerves going. The girl he likes is there, and he's trying his comedy for the first time. And mm-hmm. but, uh, well, one moment we skipped over though is when he meets uh, when he meets Sophie for the first time in the elevator in his building. Then he ends up stalking her the next day. <laughs> So he he looks very creepy while he's doing it too, and yes. it's very unsettling. Like he's just, yeah. <laughs> well, if if he didn't have the maybe if he didn't have the hood up, <laughs> it wouldn't look so weird <laughs> or creepy. But again, that'd be something the Joker would do, or something the Joker would do. Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, it. He... Keeps tabs on people. If you've seen the episode of Batman animated series called Joker's Favor, this guy, much like Arthur, getting pushed around by people. All of a sudden, somebody cuts him off in traffic. He decides, I'm not going to take this shit anymore. He's going to say something to the person that cut him off. Guess who cut him off in traffic? The Joker. (laughs) (laughs) So... He's pleading for his life, like, please don't hurt me. Like, oh, you know what, Joker's like, you're going to do me a favor. I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask a favor of you someday. Flash forward a couple, like two years later, 
this guy up and relocated, changed his name, all that stuff. Joker still kept tabs on him. Cool. Called him up at his house. <laughs> I'm ready for that favor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That. Fun fact that episode is also the first appearance of Harley Quinn. Okay. Ever. <laughs> Ever in anything. First appearance of Harley Quinn. Okay. I haven't seen any of the uh, <laughs> Batman animated series, so. Well, I grew up on that. Hmm. That came out in like 92, 93. So I was eight or nine. So I was like the perfect age to be watching. It's, it's like you could get away with an early 90s. It's dark for a kid's cartoon. They tackle some heavy stuff in that. Mm. Yeah, I was like, well, 92 just being friggin' born. And then the next year it was like one. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it was good. It was good. <laughs> yeah. So Harley was Harley was born in the cartoon. They made the jump to comics. But uh, going back, we did have another fun, another laugh out loud moment for me though was when Zazie Beats shows up at his door. Says, "Were you following me today?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he owned up to it too. And she seemed awful cool about it. If she was, if he was following her around, yeah. <laughs> But you, you I didn't get a laugh out loud. But go ahead. Sorry. She would have been a little bit more disturbed by that, but she she wasn't. So probably more so the fact that he followed her to her her daughter's school. Mm. But uh, when she lays the joke, I thought you're gonna rob the place. We find out that she works at a bank. <laughs> I love Arthur's reply. Well, I got a gun. I can come by tomorrow. <laughs> 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 yeah. Just how not that's how nonchalantly he said it. Like, well, I got yeah. a gun. <laughs> and come by tomorrow. <laughs> come by tomorrow, yeah. Like you you say that every day, right? Uh yeah, I'll just come rob the bank. <laughs> I haven't used a gun in a while. What the hell? <laughs> Excuses, Annie. <laughs> uh, that's a good laugh out loud moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But then going, jumping back forward to, uh, and then you get his whole stand up thing when he's, she shows up to stand up and they have the little date that night. And, uh, she sees the article about the guys being killed. And we also we're kind of glossing over Thomas Wayne comes in the picture here. Bruce Wayne's father, Thomas Wayne um, comes on the news to address the guys, the three brokers being killed on the bus, on the train. And this is really the moment where uh, Thomas Wayne kind of digs his own grave by essentially calling the lower class people, middle lower class people in Gotham, calling them clowns. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is where I think a lot of the side plot of this film comes from is the or the working class versus the rich. Um, that's where this whole struggle comes from, from that line of Thomas Wayne calling people of Gotham clowns just because we've made those of us that have made something of ourselves. We'll always look at them as clowns. 
like you're announcing your bit. You just called the town. You just called your city clowns, and you have the balls to say you're running for mayor. Yeah. Like, well, you just lost the majority of your votes there, chief. Yeah, you're not being mayor anytime soon, there, dude. <laughs> well, s- spoilers. He ain't spoilers. He ain't making out alive anyway. <laughs> Anybody who is a remote Batman fan knows the fate of Thomas Wayne. <laughs> and almost every, with, with, with almost any storyline besides Flashpoint, we all know what the fate of Thomas Wayne is. <laughs> So yeah, it's, which, uh... which we'll, we'll go. We'll get to that later. I did like that part in the finale too. Mm-hmm. But uh, did you know who they originally wanted to play Thomas Wayne? No, who did they want? They wanted Alec Baldwin, and because he's playing Trump on SNL right now, currently, they wanted uh, they wanted Alec Baldwin to come and play his uh, Donald Trump. For as Thomas Wayne, which the actor they got did a pretty good job of that. Um, yeah, and I can't name any time. I'm sure there are titles out there of comics or stories where Thomas Wayne, the Waynes, are not looked upon very greatly as a family in Gotham City. Like, yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, story arcs and movies and films and uh, comics where the Waynes are. Thomas Wayne was beloved by the people of Gotham, but I'm sure there's some art there too, where Thomas Wayne was not looked upon very fondly. And this is the article. This is the arc that said to go with it. It's a very much rich versus the poor. Um, B plot going on here in this movie. Mm-hmm. You really have to, you really have to think, say Thomas Wayne has nobody to blame but himself for all of it. Exactly. For all this stuff. Yeah. And they even go back and say he did not apologize. Like they interview him later, and he does not apologize. He did not apologize for it. No, like he, he yeah, he's he's kind of confronted with it, and he doesn't apologize. Like he's just like no, <laughs> ah. kind of sticking to what he said. You know, I said it. Yeah, let up. So you you can still see a very Trump like comparison, or a very lot of politician like comparison to how Thomas Wayne is portrayed in this movie. But like I said, I can't name anything off the top of my head as an exact reference. But uh, I think it's in the Long Halloween where Thomas Wayne worked on. He saved the life of either a Falcone or a Maroni, because mm. Thomas Wayne was a doctor. But uh, and I guess another uh, another side plot that involves Thomas Wayne is the fact that he may or may not be Arthur's father, which upset a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could. I could... And, uh, to which Ar- Arthur discovers this when he comes home from his date with uh, Sophie, that uh. He finds in his mother's letters because if we did go back real quick, uh, Arthur's mother Penny has been writing. All, used to work for Thomas Wayne. We used to work for the Wayne family, and she's sending a bunch of letters to Thomas. And when we finally get to see what one of these letters is about, and 
it's it's revealed that Penny is, Penny reveals that Arthur is Thomas's son. <laughs> to which is played with, to which is played with much denial from Alfred and from Thomas and most of those those two are the ones that really deny it. Yeah, they they're like, no, that's you know, yeah, that's completely untrue, and they just kind of, you know, yeah, which which you know, I guess it makes sense. Like it's just no, we're not gonna. You know, it's, you know, bullshit, but it's, you know, truth, right? They won't admit it anytime soon. <laughs> especially when you find out what happens to Arthur, what what happened to Arthur in the past, what happened with Penny in the past, they're really going to cover it up. Like, oh, nothing to do with them. Yeah, they don't, they don't want to be associated. That's not my kid. Yeah. You know, they don't want to be associated with people like that, right? They're too good for it, you know. They they don't have a, you know, shady past. No, we're squeaky clean and we're going to keep it that way. <laughs> you know, not going to admit that, you know, they're part of the group of clowns, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm a clown, I'll admit it. I'm a clown too. Hell, I had a goal of being a town weirdo, but that didn't pan out. Although, well, maybe it did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So much going on in this movie. I keep we have we've really glossed over Murray Franklin quite a bit too, played by Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Which does come back to play an important role too, and uh, he ends up showing uh, clips of Arthur on his show. Murray, uh, Arthur and his mother are huge fans of Murray Franklin. So much the fact that uh, Arthur dreams himself being on the show, which we know that f- that for a fact was fantasy for Arthur yeah. being on the show. Yeah, but uh, getting his stand-up played on there. After, well, I keep saying another subplot, another subplot, another subplot. Uh, weeks go by, and all of a sudden, uh, they really made the three guys in the subway a major plot point in this movie. Arthur is constantly being pursued by these detectives. Mm-hmm. They're trying to question him about it. I'm sure, I'm amazed how easily he's able just to brush them off so easily as much as he does. Yeah. Because uh, I believe the first time we're introduced to them is when Arthur goes to Wayne Manor where he's probably absolutely confusing the shit out of Bruce Wayne by doing all his magic tricks and sticking his fingers in his mouth <laughs> <laughs> but uh Arthur comes home to find out that his mother has been being rushed to the hospital. Yeah. And when he's sitting outside sitting outside the hospital, we're introduced to these two detectives who are questioning him because they've been questioning all of his coworkers, their ex-coworkers about the uh the murders in the bus cuz 
the words got on the press around Gotham that it was a, a clown. Somebody dressed as a clown committed these murders. Some people say it was a guy in full face paint. Some guys say it was a guy in a clown mask. So, of course, they're going after everybody at HaHa's. See if they know about it. You have to almost assume that Arthur is the number one suspect because the boss was told. He was, they were told by his boss, his ex-boss, like, yeah, he was fired for taking a gun on the job. And so, he, essentially, he's got motive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although that it's was, amazing how, how easy how easy he brushes them off when he's at the hospital. Yeah, he he's very casual about it. But then it was also you know funny how he walks into the door. Like strong you know point whatever like okay kind of like a, you know fuck you and then bam into the door. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how they call him, they call him out on it too. <laughs> like it's exit only. <laughs> it just keeps trying to go through the door. He's persistent, you know that, but that was hilarious. <laughs> so I think would it be safe to say Arthur's off his medication by this point? I think so. I think right about right around the time, sometime between that incident and him killing the guys on the subway, he's off his medication. Because yeah. I think when he's giving it, serving his mom the oatmeal. That's right around the time he goes to his last his last uh, meeting with a social worker. And he sees like his last two pills that he has. And um, so as I said, say he's off his meds by now at the point where he encounters the officers for the first, the detect- detectives for the first time. So you do notice an attitude change in him quite a bit because he actually assaults Alfred earlier that day, grabbing uh, Alfred by the neck. When he comes out to confront him. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, yeah. His. His. Uh, his. Uh, story he tells the cops. He just spits it right out. It's downright slick. I was fired because I wasn't funny enough. And the gun. Well, the, he'd been practicing with the gun being a prop thing. That that had been something he'd said before. It was just a prop. All that stuff is from my part of my act, mm-hmm. so that part was probably nothing unusual for him to to get out. But oh, they said I wasn't funny enough. And did you do this? Did you do this to my mother? And is what about the laugh? They ask about the laugh. He goes, "What do you think? A clown thing?" And then he bam right into the freaking door. <laughs> <laughs> So I think it goes. I think it goes back and it supports my case that he, he's got that Joker-like super sanity where he knows he's insane. He knows he's mentally ill. He just <laughs> nice little moment. You get the you gotta have those occasional moments of laughter, you know, to break up the tense stuff once in a while. Not all mm-hmm. the time, because sometimes it can ruin it. Yeah. I think there was there was definitely those good, you know, moments to break that tension because it is a very like it's a, it is a tense film. Like there's a lot of shit going on, a lot of you know, it's a very gritty, dark film. And I think it was perfectly placed. Like you had your your 
funny moments, right? Like you just you needed to have that that you know that tension breaker, that icebreaker, you know. So I think it it really did need it. It had that good balance of like okay, then it's you know you have that brief funny moment, and then okay, on to the you know that rest of the story. Uh, yeah. Now, what point do we think we see him become? It's be, I'm trying to piece the story together in my head. Because right around the time now, he's confronted Bruce and Alfred. His mother's in the hospital. Then, while the whole Thomas Wayne clown thing rages on, I think Denny crashes the fundraiser for uh, Thomas Wayne and confronts Thomas Wayne. Mm. Then I think that's when he ends up sitting in the refrigerator for some reason. He empties out the fridge and sits inside of it when the phone rings and the the detectives are calling him again Mm -hmm. to get more of his uh, alibi. And and in that time, too, when he's sitting in the hospital room with his mother... Uh, Murray Franklin comes on and Murray plays the clips from his stand up and essentially insulting him. Mm-hmm. So again, he's, that's what we say, poor Arthur. Yeah. Like again, where, yeah, you, you feel, you feel bad for him. Like that's just like, he outright, you know, humiliated him, you know, but that, she's making a, a mockery out of what he did, you know? Which and, it's which which is very relevant in uh, culture, too. Yeah, the people are just, you know, it's that eagerness to just post the most embarrassing things or, you know, make fun of people and for what they're trying to do and yeah, it's it's still very relevant. You know, it's just I think it's it's more accessible now with social media and technology how it is and it's. You know, everywhere, and unfortunately, it sticks. You know, in that time period, like you saw it on TV, and that was, you know, sort of it. Like it wasn't going anywhere. But now, with, like I said, like social media and all that stuff, like it, you know, things go viral, and that's it. It's floating around the internet forever. You know, whatever embarrassing things that people do. <laughs> you know. And then it's like troll food, right? Where it's just all these people, you know, coming out. Out come the the trolls crawl out of their holes from their mom's basements. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But then, around this time in the film, we also have Arthur going to Arkham Hospital. So Arkham Hospital makes its appearance in the film. And uh, Arthur is able to steal the file from his mother being committed because I believe I believe Alfred and Thomas Wayne both mentioned how Penny was institutionalized. You get an in-depth look of what Arthur went through as a child and how Penny had a boyfriend who she allowed to abuse him. And when they found him, he was chained, he was chained to a radiator and he was malnourished. He had several blows to the head, and and you can see in that flashback scene where she's just 
out of it too. So, and this is the has to be the absolute absolute point where Arthur just snaps. Like he is, he had been slowly for like the most of the second second act. He had been slowly trained from from the time he killed the guys in the subway. To this point where he gets the file on his mother, he's been slowly transitioning to this new Arthur. He is no looking back. From this point on, you do not flat out feel bad for Arthur at all. He has turned a new leaf, and this is because then we transition to one of the next big events of the movie is that he flat out kills his mother in her hospital bed. She's recovering from her stroke. Somewhat recovered, she she's awake and she's conscious. And then he ends up smothering with her pillow. And you get the other another classic line from the film. I used to think that my life was a tragedy, but now I know it's a fucking comedy. Mm-hmm. And he smothers his mother. So this is when we are now in full fledged quote unquote Joker. Because a lot of people debate whether or not he is Joker or not. In the in the film, but this is now the point of no return. Now Arthur is irredeemable. Now, mm-hmm. like he, he yeah, he's he's not gonna go back to what he was. Like he's like he said, he's turned a new leaf and he's not looking back. He's he he's taken whatever he has and running with it, and he and he full on you know does with the you know the full like suit and the makeup and hair, and he just. He's no longer who he was, you know. This is this is who he is, and like I've said before, like he he took what you know his demons and what he's learned and empowered himself, and just this is who I am now, and this is what you know. He he gains that you see a little bit more, you know, confidence in him. Like he's not this awkward guy. Like he's just yeah. Like he's kind of like. Sort of, he's got that confident walk of that, like, this is, you know, this is the path I'm taking, and I'm gonna, you know, embrace it. And he does, you know, and, um, you know, so I think he's, I honestly, like, I think he, he's Joker. That's who he is. And that's what he's gonna continue. Like, this is, this is early days for him. Like, he's finally reached that final transformation of, this is his identity, and this is, you know, and now he can carve out the rest of his path. Right. He's, he's formed his we path. learn in this time, too. That, oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> he's formed his foundation, and he's, go, you know, he's carving out the rest of his path. So that's what. Uh, we also learned this time that he is going to be on the Murray Franklin show. He receives a call from uh, the show manager or the not casting manager, but talent relations or whoever calls him. And it turns out he's going to be on Murray Franklin show because his clip received a lot of, uh, a lot of feedback. So he's in nine minutes. Now we learn that Murray, he's going to be on the Murray Franklin show. And uh, so after he kills his mother, he's at home preparing for that. And uh, 
we get another scene of him dancing around this time in his underwear <laughs> to while he's dying his hair green so he's now he's physically becoming the joker instead of spiritually becoming the joker he's now physically becoming his form mm-hmm. and uh i do must i must say though they must have had there must have been some witness on the train to see him kill these guys because the masks you see the guys wear and the face paint you see them wear looks just like Arthur's face paint. Mm -hmm. So there had to be some witnesses there. So I guess maybe they couldn't go off of testimony alone. I witnessed testimony alone. Uh, That's why they're leaning so hard on Arthur that in fact, his story doesn't, match up to any, anybody else's what well, they've been told from other people but um yeah. that's seg- that segues us into another brutal fucking kill in this movie I'd say probably the most brutal kill in this movie actually like most heartless kill has to be his, his mother uh, real heartless but uh yeah. most brutal kill has to be to well, he gets a, when he's sitting in the makeup chair, putting on his makeup to get ready for the Murray Franklin show. And uh, he gets a, there's a buzz at the door. It's two of his coworkers, uh, Russell and uh, Gary. Yeah. And, uh, well, what you see, though, is while, one thing I would point out when uh, Arthur's putting his makeup on, you know, he's looking at a picture of his mother. And just see what it said on the back of the photo. I don't remember. It said, uh, love your smile, TW. Yeah. <laughs> so all, that could poke a hole in the whole Thomas Wayne cover-up thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is a cover-up. Oh, we do, we do uh, mention that Arthur does confront Thomas Wayne at... Uh, a fundraiser for Thomas Wayne running for mayor in the bathroom, which I think is probably the last time we see Arthur do that. His uncontrollable laugh is right when Thomas Wayne pops him right in the mouth yeah. or pops him right in the nose. That's why I think that's one of the last times we see Arthur do his uncontrollable laugh. Mm-hmm. Cause we don't see him do it. when he steals his mother, mother's file. No. We don't. Well, I think he does a little bit. I think he cracks up a little bit, but he's fighting back. He's got he's got tears in his eyes too while he's also laughing. So, it, my bad. He does laugh when he's reading the file on his mother. Yeah, but, um, he starts starts to kind of laugh, and he's also crying, sort of crying but choking up, like he's yeah. <clears throat> I would say that he's so finding out what people were right all along. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, and then, you know, Michelle uh, there. <laughs> but uh, Arthur lets Russell and Gary in, mm-hmm. and everybody claims they notice that uh, Arthur locks the door, puts the chain on the door when he lets them in. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think everybody saw that coming a mile away with Gary being a, a, a short person, with being a a midget. Um, I saw 
oh, the new mile away that they're going to let him live because he put the chain in the door. Let's be honest. You did not know at first that Gary was going to have a hard time getting the chain off the door. You just see Arthur shut the door and lock it, put the chain on it. To which point, then we get our our confirmation that Arthur has stopped taking his medication at this point. Essentially, Russell is there. Well, they say they're there to help comfort Arthur because they heard his mother passed away. And but it sounds like Russell's there with other intentions to cover his own ass because the cops are asking him a lot of questions because Russell's the one that gave him the gun. You go back to when Arthur is fired, Russell threw Arthur under the bus. Yeah. And said that, oh, I didn't, he didn't get that from me. He tried to buy a gun from me, or he tried to sell me a gun. Mm-hmm. To which point, Arthur absolutely snaps, grabs the pair of scissors out of his pocket, he grabs from the dresser and stabs the shit out of Russell. <laughs> and I would have to say the most brutal kill in the whole movie. Yeah. Like he goes to town. He does. Like he he really does. He go he totally yeah, goes to town on him. <laughs> and that's the moment. This is where I think the third act. This is where the movie cuz Todd Phillips has said this movie is a slow burn. Starts at like a 2, then it, when it gets to an 11, it stays at 11. Yeah. This is this is when the movie gets to an eleven. Yes. And it starts to stay there. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it, a... it needed to be though. Like it needed that that slow crawl and then you know the brutal kill and it's going, you know, and it doesn't let up until the end. Yeah. <laughs> but but with, with this scene, everybody always talks about how Gary Trying, he can't reach the door, and he has to let him out. But I think two things I don't I don't think get talked about enough in this scene is after it's all over, Arthur just sitting there while Gary is still noticeably freaking out and crying. Mm. That's what he just witnessed. But one thing, one one of two things I don't think gets mentioned enough. It goes back to one of my Joker moments. Is Arthur just sitting there, talking to him with blood all over his face, and like, do you watch Murray Franklin show? I'm gonna be on it tonight. <laughs> and then he kicks into the, and then he kicks into the British accent. Fucking crazy! It hit me on the telly. <laughs> <laughs> like he just he just went from seeing red. And killing, stabbing a man to death with a pair of scissors, to just sitting there shooting the shit with Gary. That is a very Joker thing in my mind too. Very much so. Very much that that able to flip that switch where he's pure insanity, and then he's like chill as ever. You know, it's Uh, it's such a and just him sitting leaning against the wall with that blood all over his face. Such a creepy image. Mm-hmm. It's a very. It might maybe maybe it's just me, but it's just that's a creepy, horrifying image. Of him just sitting there, and he, even before he gets into being all nice with Gary, is when Gary first starts saying something to him. He was 
what? Like a little intense. Like, a little, like he almost like he's getting a little intense with Gary for his, like, what? And he just, do you watch Murray Franklin show? I'm going to be out of tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With him just, yeah, it was really, it's that, yeah, a thousand percent creepy because it's just, you know, he's just casually sitting there, you know, and then he starts to shoot the shit. And it's just, you almost don't know what he's going to do. Like, is he, okay, he just brutally murdered a guy and now what? Like, Okay, he's letting him go. What? Which is something Joker would do. Mm. But another thing I think that doesn't get mentioned enough in this scene is when he goes, okay, you can go, Gary. I'm not going to hurt you. And he, when Gary walks by him and he yells, I'm ah! <laughs> he's going to cry him. <laughs> and he fucks with Gary <laughs> before he lets him go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then when Gary and the and the scene that everybody laughs at is Gary trying to reach the 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 lock and he can't reach it. But Arthur's reaction is like, hmm? Like he didn't know he did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. Sorry. Sorry, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, my bad. <laughs> Let me get the door for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're always sweet to me. And he kissed him on the forehead and let him go. But yeah, it, it does it does cement the fact that Arthur only kills people that have wronged him. Mm-hmm. But I, at the same time, you're going to hear this a lot in my final statement. My final thoughts is that it, it's a very Joker thing. I think Jamie said it or, or somebody on... Suicide Squad can said it too that it, Joker will kill one guy and let the other one go just because. And um, he kisses Gary in the forehead and lets him go. And uh, he goes to continue to get ready for the show. I know we skipped over it, um, but we did touch on it briefly at the beginning of the episode where um, after Arthur finds out what's going on with his mom and everything, he breaks into Sophie's apartment to which we reveal that he made it the whole relationship with Sophie in his head the whole time. So it's starting to lay the groundwork that if you haven't figured out already, Arthur's not right in the head. He can, it starts to set, it sets the tone for that ambiguity that you get at the end of what is real, what is not. So obviously everything Arthur imagined, at least on their date and him showing up, her showing up at his door when she asked if he was following her. Arthur made all that up in his head. So Sophie does not know Arthur outside of that, that first encounter in the, in the elevator. She knows who he is. And she asks, is your mother home? Do you need me to call somebody like that? That got a, like when she first walks out of her room, out of, or first walks in the living room and sees him sitting on the couch. That her reaction that was the first ooh thought for me. Like, okay, now this movie's getting heavy. Mm-hmm. That was good, Todd Phillips. <laughs> yeah. Like now we get the infamous 
another infamous scene from the trailer of uh, Arthur dancing down the stairs. And I don't really want to touch on the fact that it caught some shit for this song choice because of Gary Glitter's uh, legal troubles. Um, if I don't really want to touch on that kind of subject, but just look up Gary Glitter, the legal trouble he got into, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s. You guys can look it up for yourselves. I don't really want to touch on that subject. Why uh, Gary Glitter is that really looked upon very brightly. <laughs> but interesting song choice, I thought, though, for that segment. Mm. But I, go, I go back to my earlier statement, though, of uh, I think Arthur Arthur's dancing to the that score in his head. Not the song, but he's dancing to the score. Mm-hmm. Like he he is like he's he's fully immersed in that like it's yeah he he's back in that he's hearing that 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 score in his head and he's you know in his in his world you know just um kind of train of thought um you know the the thing that kind of keeps him. You know, keeps him sane, keeps him grounded, and it's just his moment of like moment where he shines, like where he's just, or you know, it's silencing the it's silencing the voices in his head. Yeah, yeah. But uh, okay. From the time he kill, I, I said right from the time he kills Russell, it just cranks up to an eleven, doesn't slow down. It slows down for like a brief second. Mm-hmm. When he's dealing with, when he's dealing with Gary, so it goes down to about like a five or a six. Then we're right back up to an eleven again. With you see, it just you just cut to the detective standing at the top of the stairs, looking at him like what the like, giving him the same look that they gave him when he tried to walk into the exit door at the hospital. Like what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then here we are back to an eleven again with the chase scene. Arthur getting hit, which was this is like the first test footage we saw. List the first test footage I saw of this movie of uh, Arthur running from the detectives and getting hit by the car. And uh, what's going on in the background of this particular scene? Arthur is on his way to the Murray Franklin show while there is a huge protest scheduled to happen downtown. So that's one of the things Russell asked him was why Arthur had makeup on. Is did you get another? Did you get another gig as a clown? Did you? Uh, are you going to the protest? And uh, so Arthur gets uh, out of the train to evade the cops, and all these people are dressed as clowns, heading down to the protest. And uh, this is when you start to see right before, right before the. The clown movement hits its. This is about the time it's starting to hit its boiling point. Now is when this riot breaks out on on the fucking uh, train. So uh, Arthur is in his full Joker getup, green hair, makeup, purple suit. He ends up stealing a mat, trying to hide himself. He takes a clown mask off one of the protesters, and it just starts a huge fight on the train. With the cop, with them taking on the cops, essentially. Mm-hmm. With one of the cops, well, the detective didn't, the detective, it can be argued the detective did not purposely shoot the guy. 
But somebody does get killed in this in this fight on the train, and the two detectives are put in intensive care, mm-hmm. which allows Arthur to make his escape. And uh, I do love Arthur dancing while the two cops are getting beaten down too. <laughs> Just do that little side shuffle dance, his little shuffle dance that he's doing. And just walks right by a couple of cops on his way to the Mary Franklin show. And they go right back to the green room. And he's watching the whole thing on the news. Mm. Which, uh, <clears throat> any thoughts on that scene in particular when he's on the train when he's trying to evade the detectives? It was, I thought it was like, it was clever. Cause just how everything kind of like it, it worked out for him. Like he's, you know, trying to evade them, and then he steals the mask, and then, you know, the the cops are, you know, they get the fight shot, all that stuff, and then he just, and then, you know, finally he gets off the train and, you know, yeah, walks by the cops, and it's just like, eh, you know, because they're not, they, they're not after him, those guys aren't, so it's like, he just walks on casually, and it's just like, it's, it's very Joker, like, he just, he, he weasels his way out of stuff like he can just you know oh well all these things are happening in his favor and he just walks off like that and he's like oh i'm just gonna watch this whatever and you know so i thought it was like (laughs) you know and his dad's almost like his his victory dance right where he's just like yeah it all worked out you know he can make it to the and uh Andy Andy said on uh, Holy Backcast that that scene wasn't very Joker-like because Joke, for ins- as crazy as Joker is, he's also very intelligent at the same time. Mm-hmm. So he's a planner, so he has things planned out to work to his event to work out for something like that. But I can also make the argument that yeah, that that's something he might not have planned on happening. Mm-hmm. But he did take advantage of it, so he did take out. He did. Joker can be out. Joker's opportunist too. He's yeah. a big opportunist, so, so he did take out a huge opportunity out of that. So that that did kind of fall into his lap. He was able yeah. to take advantage of that. It, it, he definitely he he full on took on that opportunity. Like, okay, this is what's happening now, and I'm gonna just you know kind of. You know, a little bit of fly by the seat of his pants, but he was also like opportunity, and then those gears are going in his head. Like, okay, everything just falls into place. You know, so everything just kind of worked out. You know, I'm sure he yeah. he maybe he, you know, had a thought of like, oh shit, it's like this is not gonna work. Like, am I, you know? But it just somehow did. You know. Oh, just... Joker would be somebody like okay, so. For example, when he takes the guy's mask, Joker would be somebody who planned out, okay, I'm going to take this guy's mask. It's going to start a fight, which is going to cause me to get away. Mm-hmm. That's something Joker would think. Arthur takes the mask. Okay, this is going to help me blend in a little bit more. It's going to cover my face up, but I'm going to blend in. So he, you can make the argument that he did not foresee that this huge fight was going to break out as a result of him stealing the mask. No, he thought he was just, he took the mask and he's blending in because everybody else is dressed the same, yeah. right? They're all, they all have the mask and everything. So, so he probably, yeah, did not expect that this whole 
brawl was going to break out, but it did. Well, ordinarily Joker would plan for something like that to happen. Like, well, I'm going to take this mask. It's going to start a fight. I'm going to get away. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he knows that cause. But, the- but he did take advantage of the situation. He did. Which, so is, just it- as a, which is just a smart of a move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, like, you know, taking advantage of that is that quick thinking of just, okay, this is what's, you know... I can I, I see this moment where I can I can take it and you know run with it and literally I can get away. You know. So yeah, it may not have been, you know, him hundred percent like being like joker like, but it was still there was parts of it where it's that, that taking the opportunity and you know, running with that. So, you know, there there's little parts of it. You know. But it's Again, like I said earlier, it's his early days, right? He's not full-blown Joker yet. This is, this is, you know, like domino effect of just one thing falls in the, you know, it's just one thing after another, right? So this is, this is only the beginning. So we uh, flash forward to Arthur in the green room at the Murray Franklin show. Murray. Murray. <laughs> and uh after he meets with Murray and Gary, played by beautiful wonderfully played by Mark Marin. Mark Marin had have the brief role of Gary uh mm. in the movie. I just love to say Murray. Murray. But uh <laughs> <laughs> But uh Arthur's Arthur's getting getting the rundown from Murray and Gary about what's going on and they don't like they give them the rules like hey no off color humor keep it clean family show and um but they also bring up the and Arthur's watching the news about the riots that happened that's when we learn that the two detectives are put in intensive care and one person the guy that the off detective Unintentionally shot was died. Do you think Gary and Murray would have used their better judgment? How Arthur's telling him, I'm not political because they ask him what's with the makeup and everything. And, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not political. <laughs> like, well, he's clearly watching the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, that's bullshit right there. Come on. But uh, <laughs> well, you can also make you can also make a. We'll get to that in here in a minute when he goes on when he goes on the show. But you can definitely see. I don't think it was Arthur's intention to start this movement. I I you could probably say that Arthur played a part in the movement being started, but Thomas Wayne probably played more of a start in it mm-hmm. than anything. I think, like, yeah, like, Thomas Wayne, he started it by, you know, keyword clowns, you know, calling everybody clowns and not apologizing for it. And, of course, you know, people aren't going to like that. So they took that action and they're all, you know, dressed up as clowns and protesting. And and then I think, yeah, you know, Joker played that, that part in it, you know. And I think, like, he kind of... I was thinking about this earlier today. Like, he kind of 
you know, manipulates his environment without even trying. Like, he just, he has a part in things, but it's the people that are just, are kind of, I don't know, inspired by him and take that action kind of for him instead of him actually doing anything. You know, like they, you know, in the whole crowd scene, like they're all, you know, looking at him and, you know, so it's just, it's, it's the environment. It's not so much, you know, he's, he's got that small part in it where he's, he's slightly manipulating it, but everybody else is doing the work. Well, he plays his part in it by, he committed the crime while in his clown outfit, which I believe our, uh, Thomas touches on before he does the whole clown statement. Then, but like I said, I don't, I don't think Arthur intended to start this movement, but he's definitely embracing it. That you see uh, on his make-believe date with uh, Sophie, um, he's loving what he sees in the newspaper, and then the guy drives by in the taxi cab with the clown mask on. He just has that smile on his face, so. I think it took some time for him. He he's definitely embr- he didn't. I don't think he intended to start a movement, but he's definitely embracing what has happened. Mm-hmm. And um, so I can I can probably I would take his I would I would defend him when he said he's not he's not political. He didn't intend to start a movement no. when he's on Murray Franklin. So I don't think he intended to start this start this because it all. Because he says his beef is with Tom, he has a beef with Thomas Wayne, and society and the rich and all that in general. But I really don't think it was his intention to start a political movement like this. It's just something, something that spawned off of something he did, and he's just embracing it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like everybody, yeah. Like it's just somebody was inspired by it and just went with it and made this big movement that, you know, all the protests and everything. And, you know, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't him completely. It was just everybody else taking action, you know, and making it into a big thing. And then he finally like, yeah, this is okay. You know what? I like this. This is good. (laughs) You know, (laughs) people kind of, you know, giving the finger to society, you know. And like he has said, uh, I believe that's his second, his last meeting, his second or his last meeting with a social worker where he says, for the longest time I felt like I didn't matter or exist. Now people are starting to notice me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I do, I do exist. People are starting to take notice of me. So, I think it's probably why he's embracing it so much that he's seeing his clown makeup on these masks. He's seen other people wear that makeup, so people are starting to take notice. I do exist. I do matter. Mm-hmm. So you can see that. So that's probably the evidence right there. He like he's definitely embracing. He did not probably intend to start a movement, but he's definitely embracing it. Mm-hmm. And I think that. That guided him even more to, 
you know, becoming the man that he does, you know, becoming that, that whole new person, you know, where he's just, you know, this is, this is good. Like I'm finally, I'm not, you know, he's not feeling like he's, you know, I think maybe he even said like invisible, like he's not, you know, people are seeing him now. People are taking notice. He's not just some random guy in the street, you know, he's, he's influencing things. You know, and I think that's where he, you know, he gets that empowerment. Like, he's just like, you know, he embraces it and he's empowered from that. Like, people, you know. And, uh, so after he meets with Murray and Gary, uh, <laughs> he, is, he is practicing his routine. And he got much the whole time. Gary is whispering in his ear, like you should not be bringing, don't don't be bringing them on like this. Don't be bringing them on. <laughs> so, <laughs> to to be fair, <laughs> Gary tried to stop all this from happening. <laughs> if, if Murray would have listened to Gary, none of this would have happened. But mm-hmm. it's like you, sh- you can't be he can't be bringing them on dressed like this. You can't be don't. Like, yeah, he'd be good for a bit, but don't bring him on for a whole set. Mm-hmm. But as you see, uh, before earlier in the day, Arthur is practicing what he's how he's going to be on the show. And it's revealed that Arthur plans on killing himself on the show. Which later revealed, spoilers, he kills Murray instead. <laughs> yeah. I but, uh... Plot twist. <laughs> but if, so do you think he intended to kill Murray the whole time? Or was it... Uh, I think so. Or do you, or do you think he was going to do kill himself and Murray? Kill Murray, then kill himself. Because he does put I, two shots in the... He does put two shots in the, to, to, into De Niro and puts the gun down on the table. Yeah. He, I bet... You know, I don't think he he intended to kill himself. Like he he was, it was an act. Like because he look like he was practicing how he was going to act and how he was going to sit and or like you know come out of the curtain and everything. Like he he knew what he wanted to do and how he wanted to work the whole thing. And I don't think he was going to like kill himself. He was intending to kill to kill Murray. That's what he was going to do. Um, you know, so he was practicing that. Murray. Mur- Murray. <laughs> um, so yeah, he was, he totally had that, that planned in his mind and just how he, you know, right to how he was going to sit, to how he was, you know, his, his responses to questions and which were basically like, you know, like he asked the question and then it was like he answered it and it was exact same when he was there. So, yeah, he intended to kill to kill him. He, he wasn't going to kill himself. He was going to take that because of, you know, that humiliation from showing his failure as a as a comic. And, you know, so I think he because of that, he was like, no, you're, you know. You you humiliated me, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna take you out. 
it goes into the it goes it fits the theme of Arthur is only killing people who have done him wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is about the time of the movie where, of all the Joker things I saw in this movie, well, that's a Joker thing. That's a Joker moment. That's a Joker moment. This scene also houses the one moment I don't think it's a Joker moment. And when he comes out and he's, he sees getting ready, he's starting to do his little dance before the, the curtain opens. That's me in my head thinking, oh, he's dancing to the score in his head again before he comes out and does his grand entrance, which that entrance is a very Joker entrance. Coming out doing the tap dancing and kissing Dr. Sally, which is from Dark Knight Returns, which that. And then I got the uh, somebody brought up that his, him being on the show, sitting there in the chair, reminded them of somebody's appearance on a talk show. But it reminded me of much of a look up on YouTube, uh, Crispin Glover on the David Letterman show back in the 80s, 80s, I believe it was. Had, that did not go over well for Crispin Glover. No. It's just kind, of, kind of that awkward kind of that awkward tension mm. and um Arthur just sitting there and like taking in the ball and everybody's sitting there in awkward silence and this is exactly how I pictured it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh that Arthur tells his first joke that flops <laughs> the knock knock no that I did not see coming at all <laughs> And everybody's quick to jump on him about that joke. Oh, that joke's in bad taste. But to be fair, the trombone player did encourage it by playing the wah, wah. (laughs) (laughs) He did. Which that is, that, that, that was a Joker joke. That, That was a joke I could see the Joker telling too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. But um, to get in the one moment of the whole movie, I do not think is a very Joker moment, and that is the rant that Arthur goes on where he's really, where it comes off like he's feeling sorry for himself. He's throwing a pity party. Mm. Right, before, right up until he kills Murray, um, and he's doing that whole almost like a whole pity party for himself. Like if it was me, like why is everybody so upset about these guys? If it was me laying in the street and walk right over me, mm-hmm. uh, that'd be like the one thing I would not say is a Joker moment because Joker does not really feel bad for himself at all. He does not pity himself. He is very much, he's full of himself. Oh yeah. Um, which for example, uh, I haven't read the book, but the Under the Red Hood animated movie, when uh, Joker and Nightwing, or no, uh, Batman and Nightwing are questioning Joker in Arkham to see if he's behind what's going on behind the Red Hood killings, because as we know, in that, in the comics at one time, Joker was the Red Hood. Uh, Joker says, uh, do you think I would have gone through all this trouble and not let you know it was me? Like Joker is 
Joker will be loud and proud. That's why he announces like, hey, I'm going to do this at midnight. And he still goes through and does it. Mm-hmm. Joker, I've never seen be the type of like throw a pity party for himself like that. Oh, woe was me. Whoa. Like, yeah, he'll be like, oh, man, my plan, I didn't get to rob because of Batman. I didn't get to rob this bank or whatever. So-and-so still alive because of Batman. But Yes, but I don't think Joker reaches those levels where Arthur did um, right before he kills Murray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think, yeah, he, he has that. Yeah, like Joker's ego is like the size of Texas. Like he's you know, very into himself, very confident in himself, and, you know, and, and kind of, you know, goofy sometimes. Like, it's just kind of, it's his personality, right? And so, yeah, that, the the whole, you know, rant and everything, that was very, yeah, not, not Joker-like. Like, it was very just, I don't know, like, it's not even Arthur. Like, it's just somebody else, you know? Um, so it was, yeah, an interesting, maybe, I don't know, an interesting take on that, on that character, but it wasn't, you know, true to, like, a a Joker character, you know, but it's called creativity, I guess. You can't really. You know. a, that that would that would be the one fault I'd probably give the whole movie is that little yeah. rant right there. I would too, because like I think they, you know, they really latched on to this character who's troubled. He's complicated. He's, you know, a little unpredictable. He, you know, like he's in the beginnings. He's just this loner guy who who isn't noticed at all. He gets beat up. He gets, you know, he's just another guy who he's taking care of his mother and all that kind of stuff. And then he he finally, you know, finds himself and builds on it, you know. And so I think they they captured that character up to that point, and then it sort of went off for that little bit. Where it was like, okay, where, why are you going that way with that character? Like, why did you kind of, you had him, you had that character. You saw him, you know, be this guy and then slowly morph into this, into Joker. And then he was like a completely different character. And then he kind of, and then it kind of sort of bounces back into him again. But yeah, that's the only thing that, that I really didn't find worked in that like it didn't uh, work the only the only redeemable thing i think was he said he said he killed those guys because they couldn't carry a tune he threw mm-hmm. that little joke in there because that's something joker would say oh like they couldn't carry a tune that's why i killed him mm-hmm. but uh but then he goes right back into oh, whoa oh what me what yeah like he comedy and he starts to yeah, comedy like, is subjective. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Joker would he would he would play it as an act, but he wouldn't genuinely be like, "Oh, woe is me!" Like he would he would 
you know, do that and laugh about it. You know, like he would just flip that switch and be like, ah, ha, ha, you know, but he wouldn't genuinely go off like that, which it, that's what happened. And then just, no, that's not him. Oh, so oh yeah. Now I'm, I'm sitting, now I'm sitting here doubting. Now I'm, I'm sitting here doubting myself now, <laughs> because I'm thinking of uh, Dark Knight Returns when he essentially playing Doctor Wolper like a like a fiddle. Oh, he wants to go on a talk show. Well, nobody wants to listen to me after all the harm I've done. Then Doctor gets him on the show, and you see the Joker crack a smile. Then his whole plan goes on from there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of doubt myself there for just for a quick second about that. But uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, could be. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. Because Joker does play Dr. Wolper in, uh, for a chump in Dark Knight Returns. Tells a little pity story. Like, oh, nobody wants to hear from me. Not for all the things, bad things I've done. Then he just turns around and cracks that smile after Dr. Wolper leaves the room. Then he goes on that show, Dave Endocrine show, and k- kills everybody in the audience, and including the doctor and uh, the host. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe this is what they they need to throw in there to ramp up to the fact all of nowhere he just pulls out that fucking gun and bam right in the fucking head and we all had to know at this point I think a lot of us knew before we saw the movie De Niro was not making out of this movie alive yeah that that was kind of a given like we we all kind of knew that you know we didn't know how he was gonna go out but we knew that he was he wasn't gonna last like he had the you know, the, you know, the red shirt on, right? You know, he's the guy that's that's not going to make it out alive, right? So, you know. But I also kind of thought that it would be at the hands of Joker. Like, there would be something that, you know, something would happen with him and he would be taken out, you know. And I I haven't seen the movie yet, but it it got a lot of comparisons to a Scorsese film called The Last or The King of Comedy, which also starred Robert De Niro, who is an up and coming failing comedian like Arthur is, and Jerry Lee Lewis or Jerry yeah, Jerry Lewis plays the talk show host that De Niro kidnaps. But uh, I still need to rent that one and see it. Um, but that got a lot of comparison to it. But then, then we come up to the, you know, Arthur pumps two shots into De Niro. And everybody's running for their lives. Uh, and it's like Arthur like, kind of casually strolling up to the camera and giving Murray's trademark uh, sign off of that's life. And uh, that's and that's really at one point, and it cuts to the station ID. That's really at one point I could have. Uh, I I would have been happy with the movie ending there if it would have, if it would have faded out on those televisions, mm-hmm. replaying everything. Yeah, I would have been happy there. That's where but I then, thought it was going to end. Like it just it sort of set up for that, but it, yeah. And I'm glad it held on for that part. Now they show Arthur in police custody, and uh, 
Gotham City just ablaze at this point. And like I said, another another Joker moment, him just sitting there admiring it. He's just admiring the hell out of it. And when the cop tells him half the city's on fire because of you, and probably one of my favorite underused quotes in the movie is, yeah, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> yes. like, I just love that. <laughs> that that's probably one. That's probably one of the most sugar moments I think too in the whole movie is him just admiring it. Like, yeah, isn't it beautiful? Yeah, because he's kind of like dreamily, you know. Like he's just, oh, you know. <laughs> look what I look what I created. Yeah, yeah. This is this is because of me. Yeah, like look look at this. Like it's a you know a work of art, right? Like look at this. This is. It's beautiful. <laughs> As you see, there's just absolute chaos happening all over Gotham at this point. Mm-hmm. To which we to which we cut to a infamous looking movie theater and infamous family walking out of the movie theater. Mm. <laughs> and like a lot of people say, once they saw Zorro on the marquee, they knew the Waynes were done for. Yep. <laughs> and uh, back in 1980, back in 1989, they caught a lot of flack for Joker, Jack Napier killing the Waynes. Do you like it better that his actions inspired the killing of the Waynes? Because once you see that clown turn his head when the Waynes walk by him, <laughs> I'm like, oh yes, yeah. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. That was that was my reaction too. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> Shit is going down. <laughs> so let's just sit back and wait for it. <laughs> so long. <laughs> I never a- I never asked you once you watched Batman eighty nine, what was your reaction to Joker, Jack Napier being the killer of the Waynes? We all know in the comics it was Joe Chill. But uh and uh, Batman Begins ended up being Joe Chill as well. Um, when you saw Batman 89, what was your reaction to Jack Napier being the one that killed the Waynes? I don't know if I really had any, like, you know, reaction. I thought it was... It served the plot? Yeah. Like, it, it's kind of served that that purpose in the in the plot. Like, it just it worked for the story. Um, so it was kind of interesting that they did go sort of that path of, you know, you know, Jack Napier ultimately, you know, um, doing away with them. So I thought it, I thought it worked. Like it wasn't something where I was like, no, this is like, no, you know, I, I thought it was, I thought it worked. I thought it was good. You know. Yeah, and um, now, I, I can, now compare it to this one. How do you feel about the Joker inspiring, or not? He's not directly playing a hand in the death of the Waynes, but his actions have inspired the death of the Waynes. How does does it affect you differently? I think, like, I think so, and I think I don't like. I I kind of think it it works because it's still him you know like he inspired it like it's still him you know he's you know he has that you know 
not that maybe the the guy knew, but like that that history. And so with the family and his, you know, sort of, you know, hatred of the family, or whatever. However, you want to, you know, coin it, I guess. But, um, but I think it. I don't know. I, I think it might have been uh, maybe a bit more like satisfying if it was Joker that like if it was him that actually you know killed them. But I do like that it was yeah he he got you know got what he fucking deserved one way or another right and it was that inspiration from him that okay. <laughs> Thomas Wayne got what he deserved, as yeah. Joe Chill said. Um, I think I I do I don't really mind Joker killing his parents back in '89. Like a lot of people have said, um, it gives Batman that gives uh, Michael Keaton's Batman that little ins- extra inspiration to go after him in the movie. Mm. But I do like the idea of Arthur's actions playing an influence on it so much more. Yeah. But uh Thomas Wayne also plays a part in it too. Like Thomas Thomas Wayne uh he he said because because of, because of because of his actions and words it uh, his actions and words of calling the people clowns all that stuff that also plays a hand in Joe Chill going after him and Joe Chill says you get Mr. Wayne you get what you fucking deserve. Yeah. So, in this in this in this instance, it's like Wayne brought it on himself. Because when you see BVS, you see BVS, you see Batman Begins. Well, you don't you don't you don't know enough about Thomas Wayne or in Gotham even too. Um, what little I remember of Gotham, Thomas Wayne's not portrayed the way he is in this movie. So, you, Thomas Wayne himself does not play an influence it almost comes off as like a random mugging gone wrong mm-hmm. in uh in these other in, in uh in these other uh portrayals as this where thomas wayne you could argue made his bed now he has to lie in it by saying what he said about the lower class of gotham and yeah and I, and you know i don't think it would have changed if he did apologize yeah, he, he was he was still dead meat, I think. I think so. But like, there still would have been some, but it might not have been like Joker inspired. It, it, it still it still probably would have been wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, that that moment where oh shit, you know he's done for. But it wouldn't have been Joker inspired, which I think having it be Joker inspired works. Because it's still him having that hand in in the, you know, that final moment. But Thomas Wayne ultimately, you know, ultimately, yeah, started digging in his grave the minute he called people clowns. (laughs) Well, I guess guess me and you kind of, I guess I must have kind of sidestepped you here for a second. Um, I guess the point I was trying to make was if Thomas didn't call people clowns, and Arthur still played an influence. If I, I think I was trying to say was that um, 
I think Thomas Wayne still would have been dead if he didn't call people clowns, and it's still inspired by Arthur's actions. I think I still think Thomas the Waynes were were done for. Yeah, uh, well, it I, it would it would have been like the other portrayals where he him and his him and his family were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, there still would have been that other moment, like just it it wouldn't have happened then, but later on down the road there would have been something. Yeah. Okay. I, I see what you're. Yeah. What you're getting at. Yeah. So they, <laughs> they were still dead. They, they were still dead. They were still dead that night. It, it just. I think just in this portrayal, Thomas played a more of a. The outcome. Thomas had a little more um, influence on the outcome. Yeah. He would have. I, I think. I think either way, he still would have been dead. The him and Martha still would have been dead. But I think this this portrayal, he played a little part of it by referring to the lower class people of Gotham clowns. I think, but if, even if it was just, even if this whole thing was just inspired by Arthur, the Williams are probably still dead because they're in a the rough part of town. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, somebody still... would take an issue on him and done him in. Like, it was, it's kind of it's kind of inevitable. You know, like his fate was sealed. <laughs> you know, like it was... Either way. Either way, he's dead. No winning there. <laughs> much, much like uh, much like Uncle Ben in in Spider Man universe, he has to die for there to be a Spider Man. Just like Martha and Thomas have to die for there to be a Batman. Yeah. Love and marriage—you can't have one without the other. Because <laughs> there's no need for Bruce Wayne to become Batman if Thomas and Martha are still alive. Well, exactly. So, yeah. But um. Uh, so another Joker moment though is when he's rescued out of the the police car by all the rioters and he's tap dancing on top of the car, and everybody's like he everybody's getting the gun, wake up, get up, get up, and how the crowd just erupts. So as soon as he stands up and starts dancing around, mm-hmm. I got a very I got Arkham City video game vibes feels from that because in the Arkham City video games, uh, have you played any of the video games before? I haven't. No. Arkham Asylum was really good. Get it's a reuniting of a uh, Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill's Batman and, and uh, Joker. But Arkham City takes place directly after, where the new mayor decides he's shutting down Arkham. It's going to be Arkham City now. So they blocked off this whole section of Gotham City. They secured it with fences and there's security. There's Blackgate prisoners there too. So everybody's just running free in this town, mm. Arkham City, and uh, there's two warring factions going on. You got Joker and Penguin, and all these guys just getting behind Joker. It, that's just what it reminded me of briefly. Mm. And then we do a hard cut to fade to black. You hear Arthur's laughter, which I thought it was going to end right there. Yeah. We come to the reveal that Arthur is in a mental institution talking to a therapist. Mm -hmm. To which he's still laughing, but it's not his catatonic laughter. And now to which he said, "What's, what's, what's so funny? Oh, I was thinking of a joke. And do you want to tell me to which another line that's become iconic 
to the movie is you wouldn't get it. <laughs> to which it reveals that how how much of this movie actually happened. Yeah. And when he says you wouldn't get it, we do get a flashback to uh, the Waynes laying dead in the alley too. So, so a lot of people are are, are pinpointing or a lot of people single that single moment out solely when they said it's just a joke. You wouldn't get it. That if he thinks this whole thing happening and uh, um, is all this actually real? And does he have an influence in the Wayne's dying? He wouldn't get it. Does he? Did this all play out in his head? Did he have a, a role in that? So yeah, and yeah. then what do you think? <clears throat> um. Yeah, like you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're left thinking it's just you know you wouldn't, you know you wouldn't get it. And like, did somebody, you know, because it was, it's not like he was there when you know the Waynes were killed. Like he wasn't physically there. Like he wasn't watching the guy kill them. So, you know, did somebody, you know, tell him. Like, what, you know, kind of what happened there. But it's just, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, think he's on, I think he's still unconscious at that point. I don't think they quite revived him yet. Yeah, he wasn't, he, like, yeah, he wasn't completely revived and out of the thing yet. So, yeah. I think I he know. might have been laying on the, I think he might have been laying on the hood of the cop car. I think they might have. I think they might have pulled him out of the car, but I don't think he was. I don't think he quite recovered. He didn't quite uh, snap out of it at that point. He didn't quite come to. Yeah. So, yeah. So then, how does, you know, how does he find out that this that this happened? You know. Oh. Oh. Not like anybody after secret, but. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing after all this discussion that part was all made up in his head. Mm-hmm. He had his beef with Thomas Wayne and them dying yeah. is the joke and they wouldn't get it because it all it all makes sense to him. Everything that happened makes sense to him, but it wouldn't make sense to her. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so I'm yeah. gonna say a lot of the movie did not happen. Yeah. I could... Yeah. So I, I, I brought up the argument with you that when you, first, when you finally saw it, how there's no scratches or there's no cuts or anything on his head because he is visibly bleeding from the head after the ambulance hits the cop car. And you flash forward to him, he's bleeding out of the mouth too. There's no... Not a scratch on his body, on his face at all. No, he's perfectly fine. Like, there's no evidence of him going through anything. So it really, yeah, it really makes you wonder, like, okay, he made this all up. You know, that was that was his, you know, maybe what, what, what he wanted to make a reality, but it's, you know, it hasn't come to fruition, maybe. I don't know. 
<laughs> I don't know. But, yeah, it certainly shows that it, you know, he's making this up. But Brilliant yeah. imagination, I'll give him that. <laughs> well, what I don't get is people are okay with this happening in The Usual Suspects, the movie The Usual Suspects. Oh, this movie's all never, it's all made up. Well, but it happens in The Joker and people want to get their panties in a bunch over it. <laughs> well, I don't know. People are indecisive. Can't make up their minds on what they want to accept, I guess. <laughs> it's just, oh, they're fine with this one, but no, I'm not going to be fine with that. I'm going to just, you know, all caps rage about it or something. Yeah. <laughs> there we then we get a nice little capper, another Joker moment. Everybody says it's a Joker moment, and he's running from the, the orderly in the hallway. Mm. I do like that creepy moment of him uh, singing, like, mumbling the words to That's Life under his breath before he ambiguously kills the uh, therapist. Mm-hmm. This is that extra, extra little creep factor. He's just giving it a look and starts singing the, the lyrics. Then he goes back to dancing in the hallway, which very moment. And then just watching him run back and forth from the order. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, any other thoughts before we go to our final thoughts in the movie? Um, no, nothing jumping out. I expressed my thoughts. Oh, <laughs> well, before you give your final thoughts, I want to share um, the third time I went and saw this movie. I went and saw it with uh, one of my brothers from the tug of war club I'm part of. And uh, I want to give some of his thoughts in the movie real quick. And uh, we talked about it after the movie. My buddy Matt, he's a very intelligent guy. Um, he uh, he loved the idea. He agreed with me about how this film is a great character development film of the Joker, and it, it said it answered all his questions about what makes the Joker who he is, and it made it believable. It made this film made it believable that somebody like this could become the Joker, just an ordinary guy. Because Joker's not like Poison Ivy; he doesn't have special superpowers like Mister Freeze. Black mm-hmm. Batman, he is an ordinary guy. Um, and it, he said it also made it somewhat relatable to real people with similar mental health issues. So Matt and I, my buddy Matt and I, did see roll eye to eye on this. Uh, this is a huge character development film. Um, like it's been said, a lot of people tell this isn't Joker. This isn't Joker. He doesn't become a Joker in this. Well, I'll let Melissa give her final thoughts first, and I'll give mine. So, Melissa, your final thoughts on Joker? Um, overall, um, you know, I'm gonna like it. Overall, I thought it was, you know, is like a brilliant and like beautiful film and i and it's definitely 
you know, a good character study. And I th- and I'm really glad that this movie has been made because I think it really gives you a better understanding of this character and where he came from and who he becomes, like who he he ultimately, you know, becomes. And <clears throat> You know, because you, you know, you read about him in, you know, like comics and things and you see him and and you kind of get to know him, but you don't really know him and, you know, see him in the, you know, like, um, you know, Dark Knight, you know, so it's just like, and then the other movies with him and it's just, you see the different portrayals and you kind of get to know him, but you don't really know him. So in this one, it's definitely that, that character study and seeing that character development and just see him that slow burn, which I thought was needed. Like, you couldn't just, you know, fly through it. You couldn't just, like, okay, skip it. Blah, blah, blah. This happens, this happens, this happens. No. it's It was purposeful. Like, it was very much that purposeful slow burn. And I thought that was, you know, brilliant for that, that character who's so unbelievably complicated. Like, he just, you think he, you know him, but then it's like, plot twist and he does something else so you really got to know him you got to you know feel sorry for him and then you you know at different moments and then you're like this guy is awful like he's just an awful human like just awful being but you still you know can't help but like the character and i thought they really captured his character and certainly you know joaquin phoenix brought him to life Certainly. Um, so yeah, I um, I thought it was it was uh, it was very good and a very kind of powerful film because it, it questions you know mental health and how society deals with it and that whole you know we really haven't changed in the last you know however many years you know that there's you know that war that that elite one percent and then there's you know poor and you know it's still that that struggle so i like that it was it explored all those different things that it wasn't just so much like yes it was it was a joker story and it's you know about him and how he becomes this this character but it's just everything else too in this outside environment and how that influenced him and how the environment was influenced by him like he, it just kind of, you know, it was both sides being influenced, and um, yeah, I thought it was it was brilliantly done. So that's my thoughts. <laughs> well said. Uh, you're gonna want want to sit back and get comfy here. I'm gonna give my final thoughts here. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> as I've said. As I said numerous times, this is my most anticipated movie of 2019 for me. Um, The only real negative thought I had about this movie was they said it was supposed to be a Joker origin story, and this is when we still had Jared Leto as Joker from Suicide Squad. So before I knew it was different continuity, I'm like, well, it's supposed to be uh, an origin story. Joaquin's not much younger than Jared Leto, not much older, not much younger, close to the same age ballparks. I think Joaquin Phoenix just turned 45. So uh, that was the only negative thought I had about it. Uh, Then 
like I said, the Joker is my favorite comic book character of all time. So they had my $10 the day this movie was announced. Well, I'd be like, oh, I don't need a Joker origin movie. Fuck you. I do. (laughs) I'll I'll take it. (laughs) I'll watch it then. More, more sitting for me. But, uh, and what a lot got a lot of people up in arms is like, oh, I don't want the Joker to have an origin. I don't like that. I like an ambiguous. Well, the Joker has said himself from the Killing Joke. If I'm gonna, sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes I remember it another way. If I have a backstory, I prefer it to be multiple choice. To which I said, to which I've defended numerous times. Melissa's heard me. I've said it other times to other people. The Joker is one of the few comic book characters you could do pretty much anything with. And we've seen it with uh, Cesar Romero being pretty much a clown. Uh, Jack Nicholson playing him more like a gangster. Uh, Heath Ledger essentially playing as an anarchist. Uh, Jared Leto also eh, a little bit of a gangster, you'd say. Like a different kind of gangster than... Jack Nicholson, but still like a gangster. So, and now we're seeing this one as just a regular guy with a mentally ill guy who society turns him into the Joker. The meme floating around is in back in back in 1939, he created the Joker by throwing him into a vat of chemicals. In 2019, you throw him into society. <laughs> Which case in point. But uh, I love this movie so damn much. Uh, Tim, I believe it was either Tim or Scott's in the Suicide Squad cast and did the spoiler reviews that they said you should watch out for people who were smiling during this movie or at least during the kills. I was smiling all through this movie all four times I saw it just because, not because I'm insane or anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> My mother, my mother had me tested. I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> I smiled so much during this movie because I saw so many Joker moments in this movie. And even though Todd Phillips said that there was no specific comic story arc this was going off of, this was not inspired by any comic storylines, my love for this character, I saw so many comic moments or moments from the comics in other media throughout this movie. Um, I think one scene nobody touches on is the scene where Arthur crashes the fundraiser while they're watching Charlie Chaplin's Modern Times. And when he is watching the classic movie towards the beginning when he shoots the gun off in his apartment, um, I'm probably the only person on the face of the earth who wrote this story, Joker or Batman going sane, where Joker think, believes he killed Batman, so he tries to lead a normal life. And throughout this uh, story, Joker has a, a, a love for Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy. He has a love for all these classic uh, black and white comedies. Like I do myself too. And if you can't tell that Joker does, his hyenas are named uh are named after uh Abbott and Costello. 
if you didn't know that, now you know. Uh, Joker and Harley's hyenas are named Bud and Lou after Abbott and Costello. Um, but that was a very Joker moment to me when he's watching these old timey movies and that just that look of joy in his eyes, that smile when he's watching modern times, Charlie Chaplin. And, uh, of course the stand-up comic thing, the felt stand-up comic, that's of course a reference to the killing joke. Everybody saw that one coming a mile away. Um, very dark night returns when he's on the Murray Franklin show and he comes up, makes that grand entrance and kissing the doctor when he comes out very inspired there. Um, like I said, Arkham city when he's taking in, when he's sitting there and, uh, he's got all of his followers just worshiping him for lack of a better term. Another Joker, not a specific Joker, but so many Joker moments where, like, he's in the back of the cop car and he's just admiring the the rioting going on around him. When he's, uh, I've said it so many times throughout the review, but he, him just snapping and killing seven girls with the scissors, and then just going back to just sitting there, like, oh, okay, Gary, you can go, and he, and he cuts into that little accent when he's. And I could see Joker moments when uh, random, random insane things like when he climbs inside the refrigerator, or when he's trying to walk through the no the no entrance sign. That's a little, a little out there, I think. But like cracking the jokes, like the drunk driver joke he tells, or he killed those guys because they couldn't carry a tune. That's or I have a gun. I can come by tomorrow. Those are very Joker moments to me. Um, man, I should have written all these down. <laughs> um, Melissa's a prepared one. I'm not. I just fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> but um, all in all, it's going to circle around to how much I love this fucking movie. And... Because it was my most anticipated movie of the year, and it did not disappoint me at all. They can do anything with the Joker. This is definitely a new take on the Joker. And how this, some of the Arthur's acts are so random. Well, Joker wouldn't do that. Joker wouldn't do that. Well, does anybody have a problem with a 1989? How Joker only kills people that don't. Joker does kill anybody. He proves that in like Batman 89, he kills Bob the goon. Bob was his faithful henchman. The whole movie just goes, Bob gun, bang, shoots Bob dead in the during the parade or after the parade. There is, I saw moments like that in this movie too. Mm -hmm. He just, and I really wish it wasn't ruined for me that Sophie survived. Not that I didn't want Zazie Beats to die, but it it really ruins the ambiguity of the whole film to hear that her character survived. Like, well, you're trying to keep this ambiguity here and create conversation, but you just came out and spoiled it. Oh, yeah, she's alive. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
Yeah, and we just say Joker. Joker does kill anybody. Would he necessarily kill anybody? Does him wrong and spare people who are nice to him? No, it's something that just Joker just does. There is no meth. There's no method to Joker's madness. No. Like he, like Heath Ledger says, I just do things. Yeah. I'm like a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do if I caught one. I just do things. And health to this point, maybe this is one of the things he does. He just wants to let Gary live and he'll kill Russell. Mm-hmm. It's just what he wants to do. Yeah. It's kind of like if the mood catches him right, he'll just do it. Yeah. Feels like doing something today. Well, he's going to do that today. That's what he's going to do. You know? And. Like it, like I said in the earlier episode, it touches another Joker moment. It's he's got that quote unquote super sanity, um, where he knows he's insane. Arthur knows he's mentally ill, mm-hmm. and like I said, how he hears that music playing in his head the whole time, all the time. Those are very Joker moments to me, yeah. and uh, there are talks. Much like the Nightmare Before Christmas, I do not want to see a sequel to this. Neither do I. I I heard Joaquin would be open to it. I really do not know where you would go with it from here. Mm. Unless he becomes the full Joker, because that's the main complaint people make is that he does not become the Joker in this. But she would, would reply defend like, well, do you think Arthur inspires the future Joker? Do Arthur's actions inspire the future Joker? Mm-hmm. But um, final thoughts, I love this fucking movie. Go see it. Um, I will really be I will really be heartbroken if this if Joaquin does not win Best Actor, and um, is it Best Picture quality? No, it's my favorite film of this year, probably my favorite film of the last two years, yeah, a couple of years actually. Um, definitely my top five for the last decade, easily. But um, is it going to win Best Picture? No. But it should at least win Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Cinematography. Because this movie is... One thing we didn't touch on, this movie is shot beautifully. It is. It is, it is shot like a, like a 70s, 80s Martin Scorsese film. Yeah. It's, it's honestly a gorgeous film. Like, it's just... The... the yeah, everything about it is just beautiful. So yeah, it better win for cinematography, director, and and actor. Um, if you know, yeah, not best picture, but those other ones, yeah. Would I com- would I would I complain if it was nominated for best picture? No, <laughs> but for for fuck's sake, Black Panther got nominated for best picture. I liked Black Panther, but it was not best picture good. 
No. It was, it was a good movie, but, you know. <laughs> but, uh, I was pissed that Aquaman didn't get nominated for Best Visual Effects last year. <laughs> yeah, there's no excuse for that, because the visuals in that movie were incredible. Especially all the... Half the movie takes place under fucking water. <laughs> it's it's up against a, an astronaut movie, a Winnie the Pooh movie, <laughs> Black Panther, and I couldn't remember what else was it up for. Was it wasn't uh, Infinity War? Was it? No, I don't think so. I can't remember. I remember, I, I remember Black Panther. Was it First Man, the Ryan Gosling Spaceman movie, and then. Uh, Christopher Robin were all nominees for best visual effects, but not Aquaman. That that really upset me. Mm. But um, all in all, I love this fucking movie. Go see it if you haven't seen it by now. It's made all the money. It's a very divisive film. Like a lot of people have said, it's either people love it or they hate it. Mm-hmm. It caught a lot of flack from the media about it inspiring violence. Which none, and I saw a meme today on Facebook that the chicken sandwich from Popeyes has caused more violence than the Joker <laughs> movie has. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't tried the sandwich. <laughs> Neither have I. So I'd rather have a spicy chicken sandwich in the gas station down the street from my house. <laughs> People who live in Iowa and Wisconsin, they know what I'm talking about. Quick Star, Quick Trip, Spicy Chicken Sandwich, you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, uh, it is a great film. Go out and see it. But, like, like Nightmare Before Christmas, this is a perfect film in itself. It's I think it's bookended quite well. I would not want to see another Joker film as much as I loved it. If they make it, I will go see it, of course. But I would not want to see a sequel to this because it's in fear of ruining something so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Why? Why would you want to risk ruining it for a money grab? And this sure. is Warner. This is Warner Brothers' most successful movie of the year. Made. Like we said at the beginning of the show, it made 900. As of the time of this recording, it made, well, we've been recording for almost three hours, so probably made a bunch more money since then. But uh, (laughs) at the time we we started this recording, (laughs) it has made $948 million on a $55 million budget. So Todd Phillips, bravo. You served my favorite character well. Take a bow, sir. Joaquin, you serve my favorite character well. Thank you very much, sirs. So, uh, before we say goodbye, though, I did want to... Something did come out in the comics. We, we don't talk a lot of comics as much as we should on the show. I know if, I need, I'll, I'll, I'm still going to get around to making a video of the Rocco's Modern Life uh, comic. Zombie comic. But, um... John Carpenter released um, a Joker comic, a one-shot comic for Year of the Villain, and I finally read it uh, a couple days ago. And I want to give a quick spoiler-free synopsis of it. I don't want to spoil it for Melissa. Um, I enjoyed it. 
<laughs> it's good. But I love John Carpenter films. Have you heard me say in these podcasts? I love the Joker. So this is, a, again, best of both worlds for me. Um, but the Joker does not play a huge role in it. It focuses more on a henchman. Much like the Brian Azzarello uh, Joker graphic novel came out back in 2008. Joker is in it, plays a plot, plays an important role in the story, but it seems more that focuses on one of his henchmen. If that's not too spoilery for you guys out there. But but definitely worth a read. I'd, I'd recommend it. If you like John Carpenter, you like uh, Joker. And it's a one shot, so there's no you don't need to do any homework before you read it. Hopefully you get... Oh, I like to see John Carpenter do a little bit more horror with it, because he is one of the better suspense builders of horror now that's still left. I would really like to see John Carpenter do another one. Another one shot, another standalone, and just Get scary with it, like because Joker done right could be an evil story. I like to see what John. I'd like to see John Carpenter with the le- off the off the leash, gloves off. Okay, John, what can you really do with this? DC's got a black label now for to essentially replace the Vertigo label, so. Give John a bag of money with a dollar sign on it and say, John, do you give us the thing? Give us Christine. Give us Halloween with the Joker. Mm-hmm. What do you got, John? But, yeah, uh, like I said, the best spoiler review I can give is, yeah, the henchman is more of the front and center, much like 2008's Brian Azarello's Joker comic. But uh, Joker does still play a part in it. He's very Joker in it, too. (laughs) So he did hit the Joker elements. He did hit some Joker moments in it. But yeah, I I give it a I give it a five out of five. I need to read. So, uh, Melissa, where can the where can our listeners find you? Well, they can find me on most social medias. Um, they can find me on uh, Twitter. Um, if I can remember my Twitter handle. Um, at Miss underscore Melissa N. And they can also find me on Instagram at uh, Miss Melissa N25. It's all one word, all lowercase, nothing fancy. Real easy. Um, and if you want, you can also find me on Facebook at my full name, Melissa Nicholson. So, yeah. And where can they find you, Jared? You guys can find me on the tweets and the Instagrams at the very appropriately named QCA Mr. J. Because, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, there's the underscores in between QCA and Mr. J. There's the underscores in there. You'll find me. I mostly, well, this time of year now, Halloween's over, and you mostly see me tweeting or posting pictures of my cats <laughs> 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 or talking about comic book shit. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and you can find me on Facebook under my name, Jared Boots. Um, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Internet Nations Podcast. And you can find us on Podbean and Apple Podcast. I am still to this date working on getting us on Stitcher and Google Play. Um, I get little, I get very little downtime, guys. And the downtime I get, I choose to be fucking lazy with that time and have no motivation to do anything. But I am, I am working on it. You, you can say I embrace the downtime I get. <laughs> so uh, if I have an opportunity to do nothing, I'm going to do nothing. <laughs> But uh, that's where you can find us. I will get us on Stitcher and Apple and on Google Play Store eventually when I get around to it. The holidays are coming up. It's going to get a little hectic. Um, speaking of holidays, uh, listen to this episode in the middle of November. We got Thanksgiving coming up. Melissa, do we want to do anything for Thanksgiving? Well, it's Thanksgiving for me. Not yes, because the uh, Canadians we do think we do it first. So back in October, yeah. <laughs> like when is my Thanksgiving? Yeah, so we, yeah we do think we do it first. So it's now your turn to have Thanksgiving and food comas and all that stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, a, I'm a fat guy. I'm having a food coma every day. Yeah, that's that's true. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, what can we do for Thanksgiving that hasn't been done yet? I know Charlie Brown Thanksgiving special has been done. I know planes, trains, and automobiles has been done. Um, do you have any access to Alf? Uh, yes, I do. Should we do? Do you want to review the two-part episode for Thanksgiving? We can do that. One of the actors from uh, Mash is in it. Oh yeah. Do you want to do that for Thanksgiving? Let's do that. All right. So we will be stay tuned. <laughs> Me and Melissa will be bringing you well on Melmac. It's called Fapiano. So keep listening. We will be bringing you the Fapiano special. <laughs> And uh, since me, me and Melissa have hardly admitted during the uh, the House on Haunted Hill episode, we kind of slacked on doing bringing all these Halloween goodies that we wanted to bring. We are planning some good Christmas goodies for you guys too, so mm-hmm. we will wait till Thanksgiving to post them. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've been listening to Christmas music since November second. See, I like my Christmas music, but I can't. I can't do it that early. That's that's just. My tree is not up. My lights are not up. I just like to listen to music because it gets me in the spirit. I like Christmas music. It it it, it gives see, me a warm fuzzy feeling. So. See, I start after my birthday, so like November twenty fifth. That's that's when I start. Get like Christmas and like even after my birthday, I put the tree up. Yeah. Oh. I'm not that stickler, but <laughs> I saw when, I, when, I, when I had when I had when I had my own place, I put my tree up like early December. But uh, but yeah, Christmas music just fills me with joy. So it, yeah, I listen to it then. It makes you feel well, good. I do. Though, I, think, 
I think it's funny watching people freak out. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'll I'll admit it. I I do have a Christmas playlist set up, so you know it's just sitting there. <laughs> I do it. I do some of it for comedy, and comedy is subjective. Murray. <laughs> So, stay tuned, guys, for the Fet, the United Nations Fapiano Day special. Stay tuned for all the Christmas goodies we're going to bring you. And we're going to part you with these words. That's life. See you later, guys. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June. and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>